Don't Talk is Jericho. It's the pod of thunder and rock and roll. And guess what? Today, episode 600. Uh, wow, hard to believe it's been 600 episodes. We started in December of 2013. Here we are in September, October of uh, 2019. So it's been quite the run and no signs of stopping now. Still working on getting you the best and biggest guests uh, that I can get and create the best shows and have the most fun of any podcast in the world. Uh, but for here, number 600, only one thing I could thought I thought of doing to celebrate this landmark occasion. I want to invite the A-list uh, pioneer, the visionary of the 90s. Kevin Smith is back to do a watch along of the greatest movie of all time, Pulp Fiction. 25th anniversary of the Quentin Tarantino classic. And besides Quentin, I'm not sure there's anyone else on the planet who can tell us as much about the movie as Kevin Smith. Kevin was at Miramax at the same time as Pulp Fiction's Miramax release. Kevin was releasing his first movie, Clerks, another classic. He's got stories about doing the film festival scene with Quentin, what happened after Pulp Fiction debuted at Cannes, and some of the cool behind-the-scenes info and what it took to get the movie made and then marketed. And uh, just like with the Bad News Bears, Watch along we did a few months ago. We're going to watch the first part now on Talk is Jericho. And then you're going to switch over to Kevin's Smodcast to finish the watch along. Uh, because it's Kevin Smith and because it's Pulp Fiction and because it's the episode 600 of Talk is Jericho, very monumental, uh, monumental occasion. We're going to do the watch along completely commercial free. That's right. No commercial interruptions once the watch along gets started. Just for you. Thank you so much for being here for 600 episodes. And more importantly, get ready to check out episode number 600, Pulp Fiction Watch Along with the amazing Kevin Smith starting now on Talk is Jericho, commercial free as a gift to all of you for staying with me for 600 episodes. All right, so um, a couple months ago, my good friend Kevin Smith and I decided to watch one of our favorite movies uh, ever, The Bad News Bears, and it was a hit. We had part one on my show and part two on yours, and uh, people really dug it and enjoyed it. I just realized I was nodding a lot, which is death on a podcast. <laughs> yeah, come I'm on, like, man. Yeah, man. Yeah. You do four podcasts a week. <laughs> I ran out of words, apparently. I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> talk, use the microphone. Talk, oh, no. <laughs> Good but, Lord, I forgot how to speak. You know, yes, it, it was well received. People were, you know, I've been talking about this movie my whole life, Bad News Bears. You've been talking about Bad News Bears your whole life. We never did it together. We never put it on wax. And there are some people listened who are like, I haven't even heard of this yes. movie, who then went and found this movie and, you know, brought him back from the dead. Like now embrace this movie the way I embraced this movie, yeah. which I didn't think was necessarily possible. I always felt like, man, you had to be there to appreciate this movie. We were children of that era. Mm -hmm. But, you know, all this it's an underdog movie. Anybody can kind of embrace that if they're into like the underdogs. And this is a well-made underdog movie. Well, and it's once again, it's so different from what you see now that if you watch it as with uh, you know an un unknowledgeable eye or untrained eye, you're gonna go, holy like, oh shit! They God, they lived like savages in the seventies, <laughs> but they they There's use no those words and all this stuff. But I, that, that was one of my favorite things, like you said, that people were were watching it for the first time and like just experiencing the brilliance of of. Could you imagine you and I have had a lifetime to know and love Tanner Boyle? Yeah. Could you imagine being somebody who just discovers Tanner Boyle today? For the first time. Where you're like, holy, yeah. this kid's my, as they say, or as they used to say like 10 years ago on the internet, 
this kid's my spirit animal. And somebody would be like, you can't say that. And then they'd be like, this kid's my Patronus. Because you could make a reference to a very rich lady's work. She ain't going to come after you. <laughs> and you know what? She made her money. So That's right. So it's Patronus for the rest of us. But yes, it's that 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 journey of discovery, which I think we had going for us because a lot of people hadn't seen Bad News Bears. Today's movie little more difficult because I'm I can't imagine there's anyone in either of our audiences that has not already seen pulp fiction. Right. And we decided when the Bad News Bears one went good that we wanted to uh do more. Mm-hmm. Uh maybe even at some point do a live show, which would be fun. So we're trying to find some other movies and I think you and I had discussed pulp fiction because it's the twenty fifth anniversary and I wanted to, to I think I asked you if you're into it. You're big. Totally. You were like, hey, but the 25th anniversary right. happened. I said, absolutely. But even more so was we had discussed doing, let's do breaking training. Right. Keep going with the Bad News Bears. But then we decided, eh, let's go pulp. We can always go back go to back the Bad to News Bears. Yeah. Because for me, there's a precipitous drop in quality from Bad News yeah. Bears. One to number two. <laughs> but it's not to say two. Two has a lot of incredibly redeeming Quality. It'd be fun for us to watch it together. It would, yeah. and we're going to get to that. But this one felt like let's you know, with Once Upon a Time in Hollywood being out, yeah, this felt and like the 25th anniversary, 25th anniversary of pulp felt like, and also I was like, I was around when this shit yeah happened, saw it in the theater. Well, you saw Bad News in the theaters too. No, but I was also around when pulp happened at Miramax. Like this was oh, my era this was your era. Of- filmmaking so i'm like i could have shit to say about that because you were you Mallrats was miramax as well Mallrats, no it went like this miramax picked up clerks, clerks. as like a twenty-seven thousand dollar movie right then we went and did Mallrats at universal yeah but it was not just straight up universal it was um oh i know what you're talking about i can't remember gramercy yeah gramercy, gramercy. pictures subdivision so then chasing then we went back to miramax and made movies there for a long time Next was Chasing Amy, then Dogma, then Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back. Then we went and did Jersey Girl. Then we did. So those were all the Miramax movies. Gotcha. Then we went to Weinstein Company, did Clerks 2, Zach and Miri Make a Porno. And I think that was that was it. And then we left like 2008. Sure. But it's very much similar to Tarantino, Miramax and Weinstein. I was there at Miramax and weinstein company the same time as quentin he was like the older brother at the company he without quentin's reservoir dogs i probably don't wind up doing what i do i saw that up at a a, a screening at i think the third street cinema in manhattan fell in love with it went to a comic book show found the script Mm mm-hmm and bought that and read it because like this dude was like oh my god he's doing like john hughes level dialogue that was how you know <laughs> how it was described, described adult version then. yeah oh my god it's incredible but but it was transformative because when i saw reservoir dogs if for those folks that like everyone's seen this movie they'll remember it opens with a conversation about the madonna mm-hmm. song like a virgin mm-hmm. they dissect the lyrics and stuff dick 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 and and it's you know, you you know you're watching this bank heist movie and these guys are talking about a Madonna song it's completely incongruous they're caring about pop culture in this weird way and I remember being like God that counts like you could do that in a right. movie and that's dialogue like I was entertained that f- counts and we don't talk about Madonna but me and my friends sit around talking about Star Wars all the time like if this counts as dialogue I think I I want to write yeah. dialogue for a movie 
So he was the guy that, you know, gave me some wind beneath my wings by going first, by leading by example and going like, shit, this, this is, this counts. You can Mm -hmm. talk about these things. So he was at Miramax before me. Like I think, uh, Reservoir Dogs 92. We get picked up January 94. Pulp debuts at Cannes, the Cannes Film Festival in 94, four, five months later. There's four Miramax films at Cannes that year. Pulp Fiction, Picture Bride, Fresh, and Clerks. Mm. So we're, we, me and Scott Mosier spent our first Cannes Film Festival hanging out on the Miramax yacht with Quentin. Oh, right on. And like Simon LeBon and like, <laughs> Because they had a yacht next to it and shit. It was like our, you know, it was crazy. I feel Duran Duran just has yachts everywhere. They should. Like the video for Rio is just like. They live the house. (laughs) (laughs) They're like, it wasn't so much a video as like a documentary. Right, right. But so it was. So we were there when Pulp Fiction happened. I saw this movie off the closet before anybody else they had a miramax of this very private screening you're not supposed to it has to debut in competition it can oh but the chairman of miramax who shall remain nameless because right. you know um because the world <laughs> found out a lot of stuff that nobody i didn't know but anyway had a screening of the movie outside before the competition began because he could get a few film critics together to see it early so there were like 200 of us in this French cinema and most of them mover and shakers, people that write about movie business back circa 1994. You know, and everyone loved Reservoir Dogs, but nobody had any clue what Pulp Fiction was about to be. The only thing they knew about Pulp Fiction was this was a movie that had been at Sony and then Sony put it in turnaround. They were like, we're not going to make this. Oh, so they, they bought the rights to it? So Miramax came back to Miramax because Miramax had done Reservoir Dogs. They hadn't had a chance at Pulp Fiction. But once Sony passed, they were like, we'll take it. And so they made it into Pulp Fiction. Well, Quentin made it into Pulp Fiction, mm-hmm. but it had a home. So that's why Quentin was very loyal to the Weinsteins for, for his whole career. For his whole career until Hollywood. Not, only, not only Reservoir Dogs, which he made, to be fair, with live entertainment and then Harvey uh, and Miramax bought the movie mm-hmm. that Richard Gladstein was producer on the movie um, or an exec who brought it in, you know, but that movie was made independently with like a million bucks. And then it was picked up by Miramax. Pulp Fiction was grabbed from turnaround, Sony's turnaround, and they built that movie hmm. themselves. So it was wow. a $9 million budget. When we got there, when uh, Miramax picked up clerks in 1994 in January of 94, all we were interested in was Pulp Fiction because, mm-hmm. like, we knew it was coming. There was no internet, so you couldn't sit around and talk about it online. But, you know, I knew from, like, Variety and The Hollywood Reporter that, like, Pulp Fiction was happening, who was in it, blah, blah, blah. So from the jump, they were like, well, you got to meet him. You got to meet Quentin. He would love this movie and shit. And I remember I'd had an article um, that Quentin, uh, in the New York Times Magazine section, they'd interviewed Quentin, like, for Reservoir Dogs. And he gave this quote where he was talking about, like, you know, how he got to Reservoir Dogs, why he wrote it. And he said, originally, I was going to, you know, do this movie called The Birthday Party, you know, which was about, like, me and my friends and people just talking and stuff. And, um, you know, he's like, but it's like, and he used this weird, obscure example. 
like it's not like anyone's going to go see a movie set in a convenience store or something like that <laughs> while I was working on clerks. And I was like, Oh my God. Oh God. But that's all I could do and stuff. So when he saw the movie, he didn't see it in can cause can like we were there, but that movie, we won awards in can, but that movie won the award in can. Mm. That was the story of can. He saw it at the Munich film festival, which after can they, you know, Quentin loved film festivals probably still does. And so Reservoir Dogs, he spent like almost a year on the festival circuit. So he was intending to do the same thing with Pulp Fiction. But after it won the Palme d'Or at Cannes, everything changed. The strategy changed. And so Miramax pulled it from every festival except for the New York Film Festival. Oh, wow. They were like, nobody sees this between May and the Fox. They wanted to turn it into an Oscar. Oh, Buzz movie wow. And build on. And again, this is like the first indie film art house film make a hundred million bucks really is that what it made so you know this was all happening while we were there at, at Miramax. 214 million dollars worldwide worldwide yeah so this was they had a strategy all of a sudden they're like it won the palm day or we got tiger by the tail nobody sees this movie until the new york film festival but quentin wanted to go to the munich film festival film fest munchen because he loved it. He'd been there last the year before. So he's like, I'm going to go back. And I promised I was going back. So you can't keep me from going to that festival. So the only festival that it ever went to after its can debut, other than the New York Film Festival, which then hurled it into its launch, was this film festival in Munich. And so Clerks was there as well. And that was at a period where like Quentin got to slow down. And so he just started watching movies. So he went to see Clerks and loved it. And he was like, I almost made a movie like this when I was a kid. I was like, I know. I, I heard people shouldn't make movies. <laughs> he said, you read that article? <laughs> so I've known him since then. And we hung out with him all, me and Brian Johnson, the guy from Comic Book Man, um, and Scott Mosier. We hung out with Quentin, like that whole film fest and got to know him. So I've known him for years he lives up the hill mm -hmm. he's got his own movie theater like literally a movie theater shows 35 millimeter prints got mm -hmm. a candy counter and stuff that's where i met edgar wright i saw Shaun of the dead for the first time i went up there and watched red state with michael parks and quentin um, which was a beautiful experience he loved michael parks and that movie is all michael parks so mm -hmm. he, it was like porn for quentin and stuff <laughs> um so i've known him for years he put my kid in once upon a time in hollywood that's um, right i didn't I had nothing to do with that i cautioned my kid against going out for it i was like she was like i really want to try out for this movie i'm reading about it and i'm studying i said what's the movie and she was like once upon a time in hollywood i was like quentin's movie i was like kiddo i want to be in that movie <laughs> like you get in line like <laughs> you, you know not for nothing like i tell you to shoot the moon and dream big but like you know aim lower this is, <laughs> yeah. this is a tough movie to get into she got into it. She went and did an audition and pressed the dude. And he made the poster. Him. Made the poster yeah. as well. So he's been a big part of my artistic life and and now, oddly enough, my personal life at home and as much as like, wow, my kid wound mm -hmm. up in a Quentin movie. That was kind of awesome. So I got to see this movie before anybody else, man, in a screening room, not even a movie theater, not a competition theater room, in in uh, Cannes off the Quasette with like uh what was his name tom mccarthy wrote for variety at the time um he was the lead critic um janet maslin who wrote for the new york times at the time she was the lead critic heavy hitters man of the mm -hmm. culture as well as like uma was there travolta was there they all they hadn't seen it so they all got to see oh, wow. it the night before 
they all walked the red carpet and where it was supposed to have its world debut. But here there was this secret screening going on. I went to the one time I met Tarantino was at Eli Roth's after they had a screen. It might have been the premiere, not the premiere, but maybe the first night of uh, Inglorious Bastards. Mm-hmm. I went to Eli's house who lives did live somewhere like this, like your house. Eli? Uh, Eli, like up a hill somewhere or whatever. Quentin lives real close to here. Same thing. So I, when Quentin was there, so me and Quentin went to Eli's kind of theater room and watched... Uh, he also has a theater? Well, like not, a, not as... Well, he's, like, got a he's got a screen. Right. And we watched... I think it was either Good, the Bad, and the Ugly or, or one of those ones. And uh, and I was like, that's pretty cool. Me and Eli have known for years and Tarantino watching, you know, Sergio Leone. Mm. But Tarantino, like, he's one of those guys that knows everything about movies and talks the whole time. He's like, I see the flies here. They're uh, real uh, flies from Spain because the, the flies were too, too small. He wanted big lazy flies. And like, I remember first thing in school and after I'm like, dude, will you shut the up? <laughs> it's like watching a movie with Wikipedia. <laughs> exactly. But it was cool though, but he talks exactly like as you see it in the movies. Does, yeah. yeah. And just loves, loves, loves movies. And as a matter of fact, I've been going through a Golden Girls phase with, with my wife. She's got me into Golden Girls. Watching the show? Watching the show. I never watched it. Never got into it. And he's actually in Golden he Girls an episode, as yeah. an Elvis impersonator. Yes, before Pulp Fiction. Before anything. Yeah, like 89 or whatever. So obviously he was trying to be an actor and we know the story. Well, there was a whole period after Pulp Fiction when Pulp Fiction blew up where like Quentin went and acted. He was in Destiny Turns on the Radio. That's right. That's just performance. Then he went and did Four Rooms. Wait Until Dark, which was a Broadway show. Really? And he did Broadway for a Red Hot Minute. Um, he hosted Saturday Night Live. Mm. Like he really took advantage of like the people like paying attention. He was like, fuck it. I'm going to go for it. Yeah. And like leaned into it in a big, bad way from dusk till dawn. Mm-hmm. It felt like the crescendo of his like, I'm acting. Yeah, yeah. yeah, And then it's not like he I stopped acting after that, but it seemed to be less of a priority. For right. Him as, in the first few movies, he's in all of them. And then, and, then and beyond that, he was just interested yeah. in being in other people's movies right. and stuff like that. So like, when Hollywood opened its door, and I think they opened their, the door from Reservoir Dogs, but like, you know, Pulp Fiction, like, you know, opened to nine million bucks, which was unheard of for a movie of its size. It was tied with Assassins, which was a, a Stallone movie that I think Richard Donner directed. Oh, right. With yeah, the, Sharon Stone. The budget for this was eight and a half million. So if it opened at nine, that's huge. Um, and then went on to do a hundred, which was like, in 1994 like in 94 that's like, like this kind of movie grand, yeah. like these can this movie uh, changed the game i was yeah. there i watched the game change you don't get to american beauty at dreamworks which wins an oscar unless you you go through pulp fiction this was miramax bringing the art house into the multiplexes and going like you can like this highbrow shit too like you don't have to go to new mm-hmm. york to see this we're gonna put it in your local theater right and it worked. It's the cinema of cool. And we'd never seen a movie like this, too. You got to keep that in mind. And like, yet, if you've been, lived long enough and you're a big fan of Hollywood, you have seen a movie like this many, many times. Hmm. Like, it has the familiarity of genres and tropes that he grew up watching and loving in movies. Yeah. Like, you get the impression from watching Pulp Fiction that this was made by Muff loves right. movies which is true it was very very true but so even though it's like this is startlingly original it all has a feeling of familiarity which is what makes it kind of gel i think too though like i showed it to Homage, to, to, it. to my son a couple months ago and he's 15 and we started going into the, the tarantino deep dive and I think this was the third or fourth one i showed him and 
watching it all great and then of course the you know the spoiler alert, the ball gag scene in the pawn shop happens and he's like wow i never saw this coming he's like i i can't believe it like what is going on but there's this perfect example of even I, that generation is like what is still shocked because yeah. it just came out of nowhere and we'll talk about it when we see the scene but another thing about this movie too that people forget nobody had really heard much about john travolta and oh, if, this was the true comeback story. True comeback story. Of I think, the decade. I think he'd done the the look, look who's talking. The yeah, look it's, at the talking baby movies. Look who's talking. Dana Carvey and Sire Live. I'm in this movie about a baby who talks, <laughs> but he doesn't really talk. It's really weird. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, he's doing kind of lowbrow Hollywood, you know, fluff. He and, wasn't uh, Saturday Night Fever anymore, right? But this and this was the t- the time when you actually got. To see this and you're like oh john travolta that's interesting is he still around well you know what's he gonna do and this just kick-started his career and put him right back on top familiarity of like oh, i often liked him growing sure up. he was in greece and he was in yeah Saturday fever oh my god that's that's john travolta man like and suddenly you're rooting for him too because you're like it's been a red hot minute since i've seen we want to see him dancing this is yeah. cool he's cursing right he's right. dancing which he always made his name value on and here he is you know once again front and i mean he's he's him and samuel jackson are the leads in the movie yeah and then also too you know bruce willis at the time and i re- this bruce be- was the hollywood uh the heir of authenticity of hollywood but also yeah and he did it for apparently for scale and you know you're talking about this is bruce in 1994 die, die hard. hard three is coming yeah. out so he's making you know millions to- after this like i think it was pulp and then die hard three because bruce and sam jackson Right. I guess Bruce met Sam Jackson in that movie. It was like, to hey, man, we three. should bring him into Die Hard 3. And so this is Bruce, like, at the height of his power. Starring in this art house movie. Making a choice to do which is a great something part. classy. But also, too, and this might be a Mandela effect thing, but I was almost convinced that he's not in the credits because they couldn't put his name in the credits because of the SAG rules or something. Bruce? Yeah. They he's, marketed the movie on him. I remember the trailer they? Okay, was gotcha. Bruce Willis. Really? Okay, yeah. well, that's my... Oh, are you kidding me? Like, that's, Miramax was all about marketing and not paying for the marketing. <laughs> like, getting... The I, the only reason people know who I am, because generally speaking, directors aren't front and center. Mm-hmm. Like, you don't know what David Fincher really sounds like, most people. No. Because... David Fincher makes a brilliant movie, puts it out there, and he's like, judge the movie. I Chris, got nothing to do Chris with Nolan. Chris Nolan could walk in and punch me in the face. I wouldn't know who he is. Uh, you know, uh, he'd be like, wait, did that guy have a British accent? Right. Why'd he punch me? Um, <laughs> what is that spinning top doing there? <laughs> the, uh, you know, it, it, some, but at least he's a brand. A lot of cats like, I know what Chris Nolan looks like. Directors are generally not insanely mm-hmm. well-known. Because Miramax's formula was, we don't have any money before they were bought by Disney. Back in 1993, late 93, they got bought by Disney for Red Hot Minute. Same way Disney bought, you know, Marvel mm-hmm. and Star Wars. But Star they bought Wars, yeah. like, you know, or they bought Fox just recently for like $700 million or $700 billion. <laughs> they bought Miramax for $50 million bucks. Wow. Back in the day. Wow. And Miramax went on to make Oscars and do a lot of business, but they're also kind of long-term pain in the ass for disney and eventually disney let go of miramax they were like why are we in the awards business for this? Uh-huh. and also they figured out we can do this without these right. kids and so off they went and stuff and you know they sold miramax and bought marvel instead which is far smarter buy marvel cost them four billion dollars <laughs> yeah, yeah but as we see it what you were saying the only reason why people know who i am is what you're saying is because they would put the filmmakers out in mm. front of the film to talk about it. if you got a little black and white movie with no stars in it 
you're not going to get anybody on TV talking about it. No press. But you got a chance if the filmmaker mm. goes out and tells their hard scrabble tale about how we made it happen because that's human interest. Mm -hmm. So, like, even though you're not well known and even though nobody's seeing you, is like, I'm going to buy a ticket because I know that dude's face. They're going to hear your story. And we got a chance of converting that into a ticket sale. Somebody going like, no, they made this movie in a convenience store in New Jersey. I'm from Jersey right, and yeah. I go to convenience stores. Yeah. Like, so you get pushed out there to be part of the marketing. You know, unlike Fincher or Nolan, you know, and I'm not saying they never do press. Of course they do some press, but like they're not the face of their work. The work mm -hmm, speaks mm -hmm. for itself. I'm the guy who, like, as soon as the credits are rolling, I run out and I'm like, hold on, let me tell you a story about how it all happened and shit. <laughs> so that came from film festivals, number one. When the movie's done, you go out and you answer questions and shit like that from the audience, Q&A. And number two, advocating for it, like, in the press, sitting on a talk show talking about it, sitting there in the press. You become you, better at being you or some version of you, that has to become part rock on rock on tour because the work's not strong enough to live on its own financially speaking uh or even like talent speaking like based on what it is but if you can augment it which is all marketing is marketing is like uh you know we're gonna spend money and make people know this thing exists and we hope they're gonna go you market it differently instead of like using money to market it you're like can you believe these kids in a convenience store made this movie? <laughs> Imagine if you had done that when you were a kid. Like, you should see this. <laughs> right, 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 it's full right. of dirty <laughs> words. Yeah. They're saying shit you never heard in a movie before. It's crazy. It's a black and white. Like, it's marketing. Like, mm -hmm. but it's marketing that appeals to to the heart or to nostalgia or to a dream unfulfilled or a dream yet to be fulfilled. Like, suddenly you don't have to be. Um, Who's who's is Leo? Mm -hmm. I've trust Leo. He's a good actor. I seen him. He bear in a movie once, or vice versa. <laughs> I can't remember. It was in the snow, but like he could do anything. I'll see that movie. So in light of that, you need somebody out there going like, let me tell you how we got the cat to shit on cue. <sighs> and then somebody sitting there listening goes, you know what? I'm gonna check that out. Yeah, man. this yeah, yeah, yeah. up and shit. So even as a podcast that, host, you'd much rather have the director on then you know the guy behind the desk that no one's heard of and has no credits star and the star at a certain point don't really have to sell because a star is a star yeah so you know it's just enough to bask in their glow and shit mm -hmm. but with passion the storyteller comes a passion so like if you're gonna get a director on the show they're because think about it they've been wanting to tell the story yeah, yeah sure whenever and shit so that was the same school that quentin went through where they were like, who better to talk about his work than this guy? And also, Quentin became a rock star yeah. for the work. I mean, he's in it as well, but it's not like people go, Quentin's in the movie. Like, when you think of Pulp Fiction, yeah, you know, you definitely think of Quentin being in the movie as an actor for, you know, the, the Bonnie situation. But you don't go like, oh, my God, he blew me off the yeah, screen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He became a rock star because he made he did the impossible. He made this insane magic trick of a movie. And then went on to prove time and time again that it. I know a lot of magic tricks, and this one's better than that one, and this one's better than that one, and in this one I'm going to rewrite history, mm -hmm. and in this one I'm going to rewrite history as well. Like, the thing is too, and, and and at the time you mentioned Rockstar, name the name 
Quentin Tarantino. Obviously, now it's part of pop culture history. The, the way lexicon. when we were growing up, people all, you know, director Steven Spielberg. Who right. do you think you are? Some kind of Steven Spielberg? But, 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 yeah, now but, it's Quentin's name is Quentin. synonymous with director. Do you know anybody else named Quentin? No, he's, he's well, lucky. He stands yeah, alone in he a does. really good place. Yeah, one, of my, one of my good friends' his middle name is Quentin. But other than that, it's Quentin and then Tarantino. Two very memorable names. Right, and put them together. It's like it's, you remember that name. You know, it's like Schwarzenegger. I'm sure at first they were, you got to change your name to Arnold, you know, Schwartz or Arnold Smith or whatever. But I hold it, I'll do it. <laughs> yeah, but that's what I mean. So it, it, he's it's got a movie star name. Yeah, exactly. And he didn't even make it up. It's like, that's this is his real given name. Big name, yeah. And another thing, too, before we get started, is just this is one of the first movies I've seen. You're much more of a movie auteur than I am. But, Hardly. Uh, out of sequence, out of order. The first time you watch, you're going, what the fuck is going on? Yeah, wait, he's dead. I don't understand what's going on here. Yeah, and he the with the structure. And he did it in Reservoir, mm-hmm. which I, I remember everybody had seen that movie. It was really kind of like the cool movie to watch. And I'd seen it. So I was ready for Pulp Fiction because I'd seen Reservoir Dogs, which with a lot of people have seen. With the ear cutting scene, who, uh, Kirk Baltz, who plays Marvin, was my acting coach. The fuck out of here, yeah, really? Yeah. Marvin Nash. Fucking deformed over here, man. Poor guy. He goes through all that shit, and then Chris Penn just goes, this cop right here? Yeah, shoots him dead. Shoots Done. Him so bad. It's like, jeez. All that. being in the theater and just like, <gasps> You're like, come on. Exactly. They actually made it. He's Mar- still good at those moments, bro. Like, yeah. if you've seen Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, he's got nine of those moments. Yeah. In the last 30 minutes of the movie. Oh, yeah. Where you're like, <gasps> There's one I still can't get in my head. If you're, spoiler if you haven't seen it, go watch it. It's been way past the spoiler deadline. But when he takes her face and just smashes it into the mantle of the place. And who gets away with that? <laughs> you know, I mean, it's like, I guess you're like, well, it's 1969. Well, they broke into his house. Yeah, home defense. Yeah. Like, in many ways, it's like a conservative's movie. <laughs> like, these hippies broke in and we killed the f- cat. Yeah, yeah. And we, we, we flamed we through, flame through the pool. Excessive <laughs> <laughs> violence uh, by, by the norm. But so, yeah, th- this movie's completely out of order and you really have to watch it once. I always say, I've told this before, like, like, uh, like Chasing Amy. I didn't know what I was expecting. I thought it was another wacky Jay and Silent Bob caper. Right. And I didn't like it at first because I was waiting the whole movie for Jay and Silent Bob to show up. I didn't really enjoy it, so I watched it again. Right. Same thing with Pulp Fiction, because now That's you how can, I felt about Inglorious Bastards. To be honest with you, you first can, viewing of Inglorious Bastards, I was like, "What? Right? You're gonna? You can't kill Hitler. Yeah, that's it's irresponsible. Right? Like, can just Hitler, make up shit? Yeah." And the next time I watched it, I was like, God, that's brilliant. Yeah, exactly. Like, Bear I was irritated because I'm like, why did I think of killing Hitler? <laughs> why, like, why can't why I do that? Why did anybody think of it's killing Hitler before, man? And that's like, also the, the brilliance of, uh, I, I noticed it. And I know someone in the audience like, bro, they killed Hitler and things before. Like, all right, uh, fair enough. But in this, yeah, like, incredibly satisfying fashion, like your third act of the movie is they're telling a historical drama of sorts, and then you kill a guy that we all know yeah, didn't die that died. way. But that's also it's masterful. It's crazy. It's also the same. It's crazy. It's never been done before. Same thing that he does with with, with the the Manson murders and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Hey, people that were complaining about it, I realized it after I saw it after I read the reviews. What's the title of the movie? Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. It's a fairy, fairy tale. tale, exactly. But also, like I'll be honest with you, if he didn't fuck with the Manson murders at the end of Once Upon a Time yeah. in Hollywood. I think I would have wanted my money back. So yeah. The moment they said he's doing historical period piece or period piece, I said, there's no way he does it straight. Everybody's done a Manson movie yeah. under the sun this since is, the crimes yeah. happened. 
And there's no way this guy is just going to give you the story that everybody knows. But it's a slasher film. What are you going to tell? There's nothing, there's no feel good moments in that. And that's one thing with, with, with Tarantino's movies. Even in the midst of this crazy violence, there's always a little bit of a wink to the camera. Mm. You know, in this movie, when, when Marvin, uh, Marvin gets shot in the face, you know, when they have to clean out the car, it's like, it's not, it's the most diabolical worst thing. And it's funny the way that they react. And you're not, at one hand, you're like, no. But then you're like, well, you know, Marvin was involved with mobsters. Yeah. Like you'll justify yeah, it. Yeah, just yeah, like yeah, fucking right. in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, like Brad Pitt and Leo DiCaprio brutally kill those three mm-hmm. kids. But it's completely justified because you're like, those are the three people that stabbed Sharon yeah, Tate had they, with a baby inside. Yeah, had her. they not killed those kids, they would have went to the house. And, and we know what happens right, when right. they don't kill those kids. So not only is it satisfying for us as an audience to be like, good, kill those pricks. He can do it as brutal. That's why he can take that girl's yeah. face and smash That's a great it. point. It was unnerving as f- but it's like, man, like if you're going to pick anybody to f- brutalize yes. the shit out of, pick three people the that Manson brutalized family, the yeah. shit out of a bunch of people so many years ago, change history and whatnot. Like, it's ingenious. Yes, it really is. The more one thinks about it, you're like, wow, he insulated himself so perfectly. Yeah. Killing killers. Who don't feel good about that? That we all know about for 50 years. Yeah. Right? And, like, for him, you know, this is a sacred place to him. Obviously, he's a big fan of Hollywood and shit. Crime like that is a turning point where things change in this town and business and so forth. It's the end of the 60s. The end of the innocence. So, as somebody who is, you know, a child in that moment and a big fan of that era, to, you know, go back and Dr. Strange it a little bit, (laughs) you know, where you could alter things yeah, yeah, yeah. like that's got to be sick fantasy storytelling like sick meaning could you imagine having that dream come mm-hmm, true mm-hmm. to the point where they shut down sunset boulevard and reskin it to the tune of millions of bucks just so you can walk into musso and franks and make people think <laughs> like it's pre-1970 it's incredible <laughs> yeah, yeah well let's get started here with pulp fiction we're diving in folks we're, we're watching in. it this is it on the net on netflix okay as so, a plug for those cats so you go, can line it up right now zero at the zero moment yeah we're gonna press and we'll count you down we've turned the volume off on this side but you know what i should put the dialogue on right oh nice there's subtitles yeah yeah but the problem with that too is that we can't fall into watching the movie no no no, exactly or watching the subtitles. Yeah, we, we did pretty good last time i think we'll be all right because last time i think we had the volume on very slightly no we kept it down yeah, but we we could hear it a bit though, couldn't you? Or nothing. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay, but that's how well we know that movie though. Like this one, be a bit more of a challenge. Come on, man. So English closed caption, English original. All right, so this should work. We got it there. All right. Taking it back to the zero mark. This is it. Pulp Fiction watch along. Counting. Uh, oh, well, you got it at one thirty six. You got to move it back. Oh, there you go. All right. Oh, god damn it. <laughs> In three. Well, you know, let's go widescreen. All right, here we go. God damn That's it. Way. Now we got it. We're a high tech, uh, very, very um, technological here, guys. This is the director, Kevin Smith, trying to work. <laughs> <this stuff. laughs> you, can't, you can't work Netflix. No wonder yoga hosers happen. Jesus Christ. <laughs> when I did the podcast with Justin Long, all I could think of was, you turn that guy into a walrus? What's wrong with you, man? <laughs> I know. That's when you smoke weed and ate chicken McNuggets that night. I was like, I know. <laughs> a walrus. All right, here we go. Zero, zero, zero is the counter. We got a two hour and 34 minute journey out of us. With a gun in my head. 
I never would have guessed that. I would have said like Pulp Fiction, even two hours. Yeah, yeah, two thirty-four. Yeah, look at that. That's not. That's only like that's like twenty minutes shorter than Once Upon a Time. But think about how well crafted this is. There's not a wasted scene in this movie. Oh no, it's it's all amazing. Here we go, diving in, kids. Um, in five, four, get ready for a journey back to 1994. Three, two, the 90s. One, and press play. There's the logo. Oh, the expensive Miramax logo. Uh, Miramax, of course, were uh, two guys, two brothers who started a company. And that's Named the name it after their, 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 yeah, we right. shouldn't. I mean, it bums everybody out. Yeah, I know um, that name and me too. So the, uh, a soft, moist, shapeless mass of matter, a magazine or book containing lurid subject matter and being characteristic printed rough and fish paper. That's what Pulp Fiction is. That's pulp. what Pulp is. And, for, for those that were like, um, what, what does is it mean? This? Right. Yes. And Pulp Fiction was, was, uh, basically, like not comic books, but stories that you could buy in the thirties, uh, like a reader's digest Disposable. type thing of crime stories and that sort of thing. Think of a modern day comic book. It was not that. Now think of a comic book from the seventies printed on that kind of old timey mm, newspaper rag yeah. paper, but not with pulp. pictures, not with car- comics. Yeah. So, well, they usually a pulp novel would have like a scandalous cover, right? And inside throwaway literature written on some tarnished old paper and shit like that. Which is it's a great title for for what this movie is, which is basically a collection of vignettes, a collection of stories. That, Spiritual that, sequel to this movie of sorts, Grindhouse. Oh, also a title that some people needed explained to mm-hmm. them. And Which marketing I believe- difficulty at that point. Like, oh, really? Yeah, yeah. I remember the Weinstein Company was so pissed because they're like, nobody fucking knows what a grindhouse yeah. is. Like, it was so long, too. Two full-length movies. And that was the other thing that yeah. they were like, everyone thought going in, like, holy shit, you're going to get two movies for yeah. the price of one? Everyone's going to want that. And people were like, too much. Yeah, that's way too much. To the point now, I think they've just split them up. I don't they think did, they yeah, now they don't. I don't think it plays ever together yeah. again. But Pulp Fiction... Quite like the term grindhouse, it was Quentin taking a term to uh, pop culture that, you know, was known, an old-timey term and known for a certain subsection of media and stuff. So that's, even with titles, mm-hmm. that's what he's known for. Right. Rescuing the past, refreshing it, and making it somehow yeah. seem fresh and new. Yeah. This diner is right here in Los Angeles. Still there. You could drive past it all the time. This is the same diner in... Uh, Miracle Mile. I think they actually even have a sign that says available for filming. Mm-hmm. You, you can know. literally rent this. Yeah. If you just want to go f- rent the diner for Pulp Fiction and read Pulp Fiction do party. the scene yeah. and have <laughs> yeah. a Pulp Fiction party and whatnot. Now, this is Tim Roth, uh, famous. He was in Reservoir Dogs. He's in a lot of uh, Tarantino movies. One of Tarantino's cast uh, uh, cast players, I guess. And Amanda Plummer, yeah. who was coming off of, let's see, not coming right off of, but Fisher King had been probably the last like big thing that mm. she had done. Okay. But, you know, she'd been around for, for a long time. It was Chris Palmer's was kid, Palmer, and she's yeah. an amazing actress in and of her own right and whatnot. I love the part. And we- she also lent credibility to this movie. I remember oh. when I saw this movie and this, she opened with her, I was like, holy shit, man, they got Amanda Plummer? I like that. It was a Garcon coffee. Garcon means boy. Yes. <laughs> and you get to see her later on say that on camera. Now, Tim, we've met before in Reservoir does. Yes. He's the guy lying there with the gunshot. He's the cop. The he's, 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 he's the undercover guy that, that threw everything off. So you're sitting there watching this movie, and you're like, oh, right on, man. He brought that guy back right. and shit. Because he's great. Um, and you like the fact that, hey, he's bringing players back. Like, mm-hmm. he's establishing a signature Which style. Great directors. 
your present company included do that or directors that are just like this is easier than finding new people <laughs> i like this person <laughs> yeah. right i can write to this person's voice so let's do that directors who need to give their friends jobs this is an opening scene that right now we're like uh let me say i'm gonna try to do this without pausing three minutes in and almost four minutes in and nothing really has happened yet it's these two talking to each other we don't know what the f*** going on and shit. We Explain have no the hold idea. up how easy it is to hold up a diner. Yes. Right, and why you can hold and up And it diner. seems like these two people are having this conversation. If you've seen Quentin's movie, it's like, all right, the Reservoir Dog's open with them having a conversation over coffee. In and, a diner, yeah. And here they are having this big discussion. But you don't know what's coming. Yeah. Like, you don't know that these two actually whip out guns and rob the place. And this is the end of the opening vignette. Of right, the which, which then ties into the end of the movie okay. and, and you don't and then when you get to the end and it does tie in you feel clever oh, as, oh like, yeah oh shit <laughs> that's right that's what it was about that's why we sat through that whole opening scene and shit like that a lot of smoking in Tarantino movies I noticed that in uh, Once Upon a Time as well they all smoke red apples all the that's red apples brand. that's a view askew uh, universe ours his nails, own universe yeah. nails his is red apples <laughs> and you got uh, movies and these they old. showed up in another flick um, this is a little trivia Quentin was dating Mira Sorvino at one mm -hmm. point. So I believe they show up in Romeo and Michelle's high school. Oh, okay. Um, the, the theme right here, obviously, Dick Dale, Miserloo. That's another thing that Tarantino really did well. Uh, he did it in Reservoir, but especially in this, is using these old songs that you remember hearing, but don't know exactly what they are. And it just, Iconic makes it iconic. I also love too. I'd like to see a big, uh, big street fight with a band apart versus a view askew. Uh, they'd win. <laughs> they'd have guns. The guys, guys. Are, we got all the existential white kids. Well, you, got all, you, you got all the weed though. That's true. <laughs> you could probably there'd be no fight. Yeah. <laughs> um, Once look, again, Harvey Keitel. There's some credibility. Another for one you. returning with Tim Roth. That's right. Two people from Reservoir Dogs right. coming back. Lawrence Tierney doesn't come back. Do we get appearance from um, Tarantino's in it? Tarantino comes back um, from uh, Michael Madsen. No, what's his name? Um, Mr. Pink. Uh, uh, you know, uh, God, his name is escaping me. Uh, he was in Fargo. Oh, Tim, Tim Roth. Uh, Tim, uh, no, uh, Steve Buscemi. Steve Buscemi. Yes, he's the, he's the, he's Buddy Holly. That's right. Yeah, so Steve comes back. Yeah. So he's also a Reservoir Dog yeah. graduate. So Lawrence Tierney didn't return. He didn't make Reservoir it back. And then dogs. I don't think Michael Madsen made it back. I don't think he's in this one. Obviously, but Michael Madsen. he does make in, it in later on. He yeah. comes back for other Quentin movies. He's, he was in- uh, Phil Lamar, man, is yeah. Marvin. And Phil Lamar is uh, the voice of the Green, Green Lantern. Lantern. And Phil Lamar used to work with at uh, Improv at the Groundlings. Yeah, like, yeah. He's all over the place. And also Kathy Griffin, I believe, shows up in the movie She does. As well. Yeah. And Karen, nah, I can't remember her last name. She was the director of the Groundlings. She's standing by Kathy Griffin. She's the Chinese girl that you see. Karen Nakamura. Sorry, I didn't mean Chinese. And Julia Japanese. Sweeney, of course, who now, what did I just see her in recently? Oh, she was in that awesome show, I think, with, um, it's called Shrill. It's on Hulu with uh, oh, okay, Aidy Bryant. I think she played her. Mom. Well, of course, and she'd be most famous as Pat. She played it's, it's Pat. It's just Pat. In this movie, she actually looks pretty cute. So you're like, okay, so Pat does not look like a man. You she didn't realize like it was Pat. And also, too, like Travolta's hair. Like, I love the choice that he made with that. And Sam, Sam's hair, too. Like, they're both. Sam's got the tight Jerry Curl fro. Outdated. Going on, and uh, John Travolta's got, like, the. 
That looks like Jersey hair to me. That's <laughs> yeah. hair I grew up looking all around. It's it not even like, hockey hair because hockey hair would have shorter around the ears. Yeah, than. it's a little shaved here because of the sideburns, but it's still kind of longish. It, on the yeah. Sides. This movie kicks into high gear right away with a discussion of, you know. It's uh, a very Smith. It's Kevin Smith. It's a very Quentin Tarantino yeah. conversation. I stole from him. He when did you were, it first. When you're talking about clerks, the the, the whole story about the uh, independent contractors working on the Death Star that could be a Tarantino monologue. It, the only reason it exists because Tarantino talked like a virgin. Yeah, right. And I was like, oh shit, you, you can, can do it with Star Wars. Yeah. I can do this shit with Star Wars. <laughs> and who but, still who still doesn't you know the Royale cheese? We're getting the Royale cheese, man. The discussion about like burgers and foreign lands, which <laughs> like was captured the american imagination in 1994 yes um and checked out like i spent time traveling with clerks like we went to the camp film festival so we were going to mcdonald's <laughs> yeah. at this point. so as we're watching the scene in france i'm like oh shit he's right <laughs> yeah I, everyone that i know that's Love gone to man. paris uh, gets a Royale with cheese. I went to got a Royale with cheese just to get one. It, it, it was terrible. They must have been responsible for an uptick in the in, sale in Parisian of McDonald's business. <laughs> um, Sam, now we all know who John Travolta was at this point yeah, in time. Yeah, did not know really who Sam Jackson <laughs> was. Sam Jackson, though, had been in, and there's an iconic Quentin shot he did in Reservoir Dogs. Mm. I'm going to put a camera in the trunk. I'm going to mm-hmm. have somebody open the trunk. I mm-hmm. believe it was Michael Madsen. And then I'm going to close the trunk. We stole it for the opening of Clerks. Oh, okay. Um, uh sam had been in uh jungle fever he played um wesley snipes drug addicted brother okay sam had been in goodfellas he's the guy that falls asleep you know sam had been in jurassic park i think a year before this you know what his first movie was Uh uh-uh as the guy who goes to hold up the McDowell's. Yes, and coming to America. That's to right. America, yeah. <laughs> so, so Sam Jackson at this point, of course, naturally, Pulp Fiction is not the Sam Jackson we all know who he is today. Mm-hmm. This is the beginning of yes, the Sam this Jackson. This is his we first, like, who today. is this guy? He, he, he later on, everybody learned his name. Yeah. And later on, he pulls out his wallet and he's got BMF, bad motherfucker. Bad motherfucker. And that's exactly what he is. He's yeah. a bad motherfucker. Um, it was, uh, if, for a lot of people, he was a discovery, but if you were, uh, a, um, you know, he played the DJ and do the right thing. That's the truth, mm. Ruth. Like, he's been around for a while and always had great support, like a Steven Root. Great supporting yeah, roles. right. But this was the movie where he got to shine. Yeah, so great in every uh, Tarantino movie, too. He's one of those guys, uh, and I think uh, Chris Waltz is like that, too. He 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 relishes Tarantino's dialogue. Like or, he or Tarantino finds somebody right. that he can write to. Yeah, that he's like, oh, this would be perfect for him. Yeah. This is great too when they're talking about uh, Antoine Rocky Horror uh, getting thrown out for giving her a foot massage. Because mind you, you don't even know what they're doing. Yeah, you have no idea. You don't even know who they even are. When they reached into the trunk. They weren't pulling out guns, and there was no cop in the trunk or anything like that. So you don't know what they're doing. They're, they're they're debating on whether it's it's worth getting thrown over a balcony uh, because you gave somebody's wife a foot massage. Now I watched this when I was uh, growing up. Uh, I lived in in Okotoks, Alberta, which is outside of Calgary, with a family. Mm. And nicest mother, her name was Bev Palco, and uh, she came in to see what me and her son Tyler were watching. And it was Pulp Fiction, of course. Right, this part here where it's like giving a woman a foot massage and sticking your tongue in the holiest of holies is not the same thing. Right, right. Talking about licking, you know, it's just like she walked. In. What are you guys watching? I'm like, oh, super embarrassing. 
Do you know what Pope is? <laughs> <laughs> Let's quick go back to that definition. Yeah. It's educational programming, Mom. No, Look, don't, don't touch that. <laughs> we're learning things. Right when she walked in right at that thing. What are you watching? My, my uh, mom walked in. I might have told her on the last podcast, actually. My mom walked in. We rent. She walked in after, but we rented this movie. The first movie I ever rented, we went to a video store. And uh, I said to the clerk, give me the worst horror movie that you have. And the dude took me literally and sarcastically, and he gave me blood sucking freaks. Oh, dude. Which has a I line it. in it where the guy goes, Her mouth will make an interesting urinal. And my mom <laughs> came scorching into the room going, Turn that off. <laughs> well, I when I was in the uh, in the nineties, I worked for Ted Turner, WCW. Mm. And long story short, there was this really weird looking guy who drove the truck, and I decided to make him my mascot because he was so funny looking. And I had just seen blood sucking freaks, so I called him Ralphus. Ah. To this day, people always ask what Ralphus, and that's where it came from. The, the little guy looks like a, a a little person version of Oats from Hall and Oats. I do not re- recommend seeking that movie out. It's got- I'm, I'm not trying to steal revenue from it or whatnot, but <laughs> it is for the few. Yeah, it is for the sturdy. Yeah. Um, it's not for all. It ends with these naked women that the guy keeps locked in a cage in his basement eating a dick dog, yes. uh, and he provides the dick. I'll it, leave it at that. It, it's uh, on a bun, by the way, an actual dick dog with a hot dog bun. It's all pretty reprehensible, but yeah. it, it's it, bad. It was, the, it was the it guy. Was, yeah. I asked for the worst horror movie I've got. He gave it I to you, throwing, throwing darts into their ass with a target drawn on it. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh my god man i'll never forget and they're still debating foot massages after like you know two minutes that's the mark of quentin he's gonna take his time and do yeah. exactly yeah. what he wants to do but once again it's also it. building up tension because they're putting yourself back into this time frame watching this in the theater and i remember they had a trailer for dumb and dumber was before this and i was howling at this is so funny it's gonna be the funniest movie ever and then this came on so imagine watching this you're like what is going on who are these guys what are they doing? Why are they talking about foot massages? Who's Anton Rocky Horror? It's a miracle that this movie opened to nine million bucks. Because of word of mouth, it has to be, right? Everyone wanted to see it, man. It yeah. became like the movie you passed on. You're like, you got to see this movie. Mm-hmm. It's crazy, man. And plus, stick with it. Don't, it's just, it's weird. I bet you people came in knowing that there was something different about it, you know? And it was like, uh, think about it. It's a grown up movie, mm-hmm. so you could play it for adults, but. What kid don't want to watch this? Oh, yeah, totally. Like, there's no part of it. I mean, you know, I'm not talking like six-year-olds might be bored no, by fi- all the adults talking, but like teenager, 12, 15. Like 15-year-old son watched. Yeah, he loved it. And exactly. it still works to this day. It does. And what he loves the most was Sam and Jackson. He said, I want to see all the Samuel Jackson Tarantino movies. I don't want to see the other ones. So this is really- That's his way in. That's his way in. Yeah. We obviously know Samuel now, but going there's back- Phil there's Lamar Phil Lamar right there, man. Former, Lamar uh, the door. former groundling. And there's Frank Whaley there who played uh, uh, Robbie Krieger in uh, the Doors movie. And he was also uh, in Swimming with Sharks. Yes. Facing off against Kevin Spacey, another person we're not supposed to mention. <laughs> and career opportunities with a- Yes, young, with uh, uh, Jennifer Conley, man. Con- oh, a so John hot. Hughes produced One picture. of his, yeah, not a great one, but- not uh, a, He didn't direct it. So oh, can't, I think okay. if I remember correctly, he was like produced it or wrote awesome. it, but I don't know if he directed it. Now, here's, uh, here's Tarantino's version of movies in Big Kahuna Burger. Yes. Which you see throughout. That's true. I don't get to movies without there being a big Kahuna burger. Yeah. I remember seeing this movie and being like, that don't exist. It look, it's such a great looking burger too when he gets it. And then, and that, that drink is like, seems so tasty. Do you mind if I yeah, he even calls you a tasty a beverage? Tasty beverage. Yeah. <laughs> um, you want to talk about, uh, anticipation. You want to talk about building a mood. 
this whole scene right here. We don't know what's going on. Yeah. Once so, again, you know, we're like, uh, it's funny, man. Like he's playing with them. He's toying with them. What's going to happen? We have no idea. The gravity of the situation. Things are going to get heavy. Right. So I mean, you can tell once again, these guys are bad mothers by walking in. You can tell these other guys are obviously terrified just by the great acting by old Frank. And here, here, here it is. The, uh, the bur- Look at this burger. That, that's not a good-looking burger. The cheese on there and everything. Mm. And he's just eating his food before he kills him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so some kind of something like a wild animal would do, right? It's so dark. It is... Uh, it's uh, a masterpiece of suspense, this scene. Oh, once not again, unlike the scene in, say, Inglorious Bastards yes. with the milk. I was just going to say where she's under the... How long can you yeah. pull the taffy... Yeah. Until like you like you can feel the tension in the scene until finally something's gonna. Stop. And like I said, the way that these guys are playing it, you know they're f-ed and they know they're f-ed and you feel dread for them. It just repeats the Royale with cheese yeah. information conversation they Royale just literally with had yeah. and then, a few minutes ago. Travolta's deadpan in the back. <laughs> Check out the big brain on bread. <laughs> <laughs> and like and that's the thing too. Like Samuel's playing with them, Jules is playing with them, and and uh, and Travolta just wants to kill them. That's what he's there for. Stalking back and forth. Yeah. Waiting to go. Jules. What's what's his name again? Travolta's name? Jules and... Uh, Jules Vin, Vin, Vince Vincent. Vincent. Vincent Vega. Um, sips down the tasty beverage. I'm sure Quentin was like, man, we got Frank Whaley. <laughs> like it was a score for him. Yeah? Yeah. Well, dude, like I said, 1994, he came off the Doors movie and yeah. like all these other ones. So, and it's a great part. It's a lot like the, the, the parts that you have in your movies where you might only get a scene, but it's a great scene. Like, this might be the highlight of Frank's career, both in performance and in the size of the movie. That's where the scene turns right there. Yeah. Because he's in on it with him. I don't remember. And, and Phil Lamar's character, Marvin, just wants this to go down smooth without anybody. Yeah. And, and obviously, he's the snitch that, that told him where they are because we find out later that he's with them. And once again, does not end up well. But this is another Tarantino thing where there's a lot of just toying around and then just this vicious blast of a gun. Like, what? And yeah. this is also a very Quentin. Thing. I love it too. The, the, the combo is 666. <laughs> now, the glowing uh, uh, treasure that gives in the briefcase. And no one knows what it is. They never say what it is. And I like that. Yeah. Even that people are guessing that it might be Marcel Wallace's soul. Oh, yeah, I've always heard that one. Yeah, he's got a bandaid on the back of his neck. <laughs> yes. Because yeah, that's how like, the, the Egyptians would pull somebody's soul out through the neck when they died or something like that. So here's where he tries to take control and trying to get people's look names. Look how we stay in this wide. Yeah. And it's, you know, there's no menace. He's no. talking. Yeah. You don't even see any sort of like there's nothing playing in the music to indicate what's go. about to right. happen. Yeah, Boom. <laughs> <laughs> super common now he knows the stakes have just been risen you're saying something about best intentions yeah um, yeah man holy shit I remember first time seeing this being like what? Wow. the whole audience goes quiet and then there's nervous laughter yeah yeah, yeah. people who are like whoa because in this scene we don't know once again I guess they stole Marcellus Wallace's case but we don't know who Marcellus Wallace is and this guy is like he's the baby face he's the good guy you feel bad for old uh, Brett Oh, this is great, too. You speak English, what? Mm-hmm. Speak English, what? what? Say what again, mother... Yeah, I mean, there's such quotable lines that people can repeat over and over again. 
<laughs> Say what again? <laughs> a double game, <-dinging> motherfucker. <laughs> There's a great uh, bit on YouTube where it has all <coughs> the fucks from this movie edited all together. It's mm -hmm. like a three minute clip. It's like, fuck, 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 fuck. It's an excellent use of the term yeah. all throughout this movie. It's so funny, even when you watch it, it's riveting and ahead of its time. And mm -hmm. this movie's 25 years old. Yeah, it still holds up. Yeah. Holds you know, up. It's like, no, it doesn't hold up. It's a bar that few people have reached. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's one of those things like Theron Fleury winning the Stanley Cup in his first year in yeah, the NHL. Uh, like, where uh, do you uh, go uh, from there? I mean, and that's the thing. He went. You yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, if you get this once in your lifetime, you're yeah. a happy camper, man. He had this. Then he had, uh, I personally like think kill bill volume two is a triumph i love both kill bill movies but yeah volume two i think is his most human movie it's him doing a breakup mm -hmm. movie is right. a, a broken family movie by way of like assassins and stuff but you know Glorious and django he yeah. wins oscars with and they become his highest grossing movies yeah. so he also won an oscar for this for best original screenplay, screenplay yeah. that he shares with roger avery but the other at oscars Screenplay well, alone, yeah. Screenplays, uh, and they're saying how once upon a time in Hollywood. Oh, there you go. So he just bam, 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 eighteen bam. guys and eighteen bullets for the one dude, and that's where Jules said his little Bible quote there beforehand. Um, and then we fade out, and we're like, "What was the point of all that?" And then Vincent Vega and Marcellus Wallace's wife. What is this? On and then all you're like, "All right, I guess that was because we're what the f Bruce, Bruce Willis? Willis? What?" Um, I was just going to say uh, one of the things I was reading about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood they were saying it's a, a personal Tarantino movie talking about how it's the end of the Hollywood system right. the way they used to make movies and how these new guys are coming in and they're kind of equating it to when he was that guy in Pulp Fiction he he changed the whole uh, uh, scene of how movies were made right. and now everyone does these type of movies and he's kind of become old hat now at this point he is it's you know? no longer just his domain yeah people are like oh I, we make movies like that as well yeah exactly and there's been so many, like when this movie came out like how many pulp fiction inspired knock or knockoffs ripoffs there's once upon a time in the alley there's Zo um, zoe killing zoe killing zoe yeah. that was roger avery actually worked really? on that so the guy who oh, co-wrote this wow. actually directed it definitely that. has that type of uh, um what else there was um Things to do in Denver when you're dead. Oh, yeah. Uh, so many of those. There's a lot of Quentin knockoffs. Tough talking. Yeah. Uh, Soft-hearted. Overly violent. Guys. Yeah, crime. Uh, you could even, like, you don't get to, let me see, gross point blank mm. without Pulp sure. Fiction. Yeah, yeah, totally. There's a, there's another one, too, where they... They go for the bachelor party in Vegas with Christian Slater, and they kill the the stripper by sticking her on the hook of the. Yeah. What was it? That one was crazy night. Something like that. Something like very Tarantino movie. There you go. Um, this scene here is great too because we we find out okay Bruce Willis is a boxer. There's an unidentified voice basically telling him that he's going to throw the fight. And just as a guy who worked with Bruce Willis, this is Bruce Willis's dream kind of scene. Um, cameras on him. Mm -hmm. He just has to look like Bruce Willis. You have to say Get anything. Bruce Willis looks. He doesn't really have to say anything except one line, um, and somebody else is doing all the talking. Certainly appears so, yeah. Like, come on. And this is kind of the end of Bruce looking what still a great, like... A, what, a, what a great job. When yeah. You, when you just have to 
look at somebody else's tone. There's that band-aid. There's the band-aid. This, the Egyptians would take somebody's soul by putting a needle in the back of your neck, they said, when you die. What is his name again? Marcel. Oh, Ving Rhames. So this was Ving Rhames' big breakout. Yeah, this yeah the first time he knew he was. created Ving Rhames. And he's- One-two punch of this, and then Mission Impossible right on yes, top Yes, and this. basically- plays the same character in every movie yeah. and you love plays it Ving Rames. he's yeah. amazing my favorite Ving Rames performance maybe other than this did you ever see a movie called Dave no Kevin Klein. oh yeah I never saw plays it the president. he plays the president he plays yeah, yeah. the president he's a guy who looks like the president and so they use him to replace the oh president. okay and uh, Ving Rames plays his uh, secret service guy okay and he's a big well, tough voice. guy and at the end of the movie he's like Dave I'd have taken a bullet for you, you know? and you're like oh he cries. He's wonderful. Um, but again, this is Bruce Willis, man. And Bruce Willis, like again, they marketed the movie on his back. And Bruce Willis. Um, they knew they had something magic in, in this. Uh, and the fact that... And once again, now these guys come in wearing like these beach clothes. And you're like, what the hell is that? Yeah, well, Why are they wearing that? There's no explanation whatsoever yeah. until you get to the third mm-hmm. act of the movie. So amazing. But uh, here you get to see a little bit of crossover with like... Travolta and Bruce Willis and Sam Jackson in the same scene, but not yeah. interacting really with one another until he comes to the bar and he goes, what are you looking at, Palooka? Yeah. Um, imagine the day they found out they were getting Bruce Willis. Mm-hmm. Banner yeah. day for the show. Oh, Probably huge. started back in the Sony version of the movie. And for, for for scale or whatever the game, because yeah. you know it wasn't nobody a lot. they didn't get paid a lot. As we heard, the budget was eight and a half and stuff. And also, nobody was taking points on the back end of right. a movie like right. this. You, they just did because you're they doing it for the content. for like for the art. And you're like, oh, f- this guy's good, man. I want to be. I like this other thing. I want to be in this this new thing, whatever it is. I love this. So he goes, "What are you going to do on the date? I'm going to take her out, have a couple of drinks, and sit." And he goes, "I know it's Paul. That's between y'all." And he's like, well, "What the f- did you ask me for?" <laughs> I love that. What the, what the f- did you ask me? <laughs> Asshole. He just looks nuts. So this is great, you know. There it is. There's a movie star next to a movie star. Yeah, this would be like uh, in Caddyshack where they realized when they were finished filming that they didn't have a scene with Chevy Chase and Bill Murray. In it. <laughs> is so that had, what happened? Oh yeah. They had to go back and or like at three in the morning. They're like, "How the f- do we not put these two in yeah. the scene?" And they basically just improv the whole scene. It's great. So this is the same thing. You have to have a scene with, and there's more. Well, there's another scene with them later that's very brief. But there's the shot and Bruce Willis. Yeah. That's the shot they used in the trailer. <laughs> the wraparound. Yeah, and you get like I said, to not have Travolta and, and Willis in a scene would have been criminal. Even though it's just a quick one. And look at him, and it's a really dope moment because later on. He doesn't fucking hesitate. That's what I mean. Yeah, you see him like, after he's just like, uh, "Hey, Punchy." Yeah, I like to- you, Palooka. And you're like, when when the moment of truth happens, Butch is just like, boom. I bet you. I would wonder if someone's ever made a cut of this on their own. Roseanne Arquette. Roseanne Arquette. Too. Yeah, she is. There's another Arquette in the movie as well. Yeah, uh, Alexis. Alexis he's hi- passed. Yes, hide he's in the gone bathroom now. Yeah. yeah, he's the one in the bathroom. He's tremendous. Um, I wonder if anyone's ever done an edit of their own of the movie in chronological order. Oh, I just, bet you. That'd be kind of cool to see. Because we can place it in our heads, but I like where does that scene that we just saw in the in the bar fit to where everything else goes? So this is where she talks about how many piercings she has. I uh, remember I went to, uh, when we first got out here, me and Scott, like after Sundance in 94. Um, oh, shit. Yeah, Eric Stoltz. Eric Stoltz. The original Marty McFly. Um, who also worked as a PA on Say Anything. Really? Yeah, just for the f*** of it. Really? 
Yeah, he liked Cameron, and he was. Was like, he already an actor at that point in time? Yeah. So he liked Cameron. Cameron Crow. Oh, okay. And so he he kind of worked as a PA, and he's got like a cameo kind of thing in the movie. But later on, he was in Jerry Maguire. Like I think Cameron Crow used him in a bunch of things, kept him in there. Yeah. There's a story about how he PA'd on that movie. Really? Just you know to help. Can you out. imagine being like Back to the Future, and then like two weeks in, it just doesn't work. And, then, and they're like, let's let's go another way. Yeah, let's get this. Like you, I'm sure you're sitting there. Like my career is over. Yeah, Done. like I got this huge movie, and now I just get kicked off. I got kicked off of, of a Steven Spielberg produced movie. Right. Like um, what, after filming for two weeks, do you know how much money that costs? And it's like the only reason you get fired is because they don't like your performance. It's not like you were an asshole right. on set. They you're just, just don't you're just like not what you're doing it. it. And then they replace you with, at that point. A sitcom actor. <laughs> That's got to be like a yeah. real kick in the balls as well. But yeah. everything worked out the way it's supposed to. But I wonder, does he still think about it ever? Or he's like, no, that shit's old. Yeah, you know, I don't it's know. Like, I've, I've been in a Quentin Tarantino movie, man. I've been in a bunch of Cameron Crowe movies. I'm good. I'm, I'm Rocky. I'm Rocky. I'm Dennis. masked, mother. <laughs> I'm forever masked, man. <laughs> this is when he comes to Lance's Plus, house. He was in Scow, bitch. Some kind of wonderful. Oh, that's right. He's the one that little drummer girl Scow. falls in love with. <laughs> he's, a, he's a John Hughes kid, man. He gets in at the zero hour. He uh, he's, he's a heroin dealer in this, and this is where Vinny Vega comes over. Wearing over. a Speed Racer shirt long the, before there was a Speed Racer movie. Right. And uh, he's buying heroin because Coke is out, man. Heroin's coming back in a big way. <laughs> <laughs> and it's also, coming back and and also later on we see some fruit brute oh in the yeah. movie the cereal one of the monster cereals um i remember when we first came out here man like uh we went out to eat at a restaurant it was called the olive and the guy who owned the restaurant was dating rosanna arquette hmm. so the guy who took us out it was like the head of a studio or whatever he was like this is blah blah, blah. he owns this place where the farmer's daughter is now and he was sitting there with Roseanne Arquette, who was like famous when I was yeah, a kid, yeah. man. Like, I famous when I walked in there as well. Desperately seeking to see huge. So, uh, you know, we said hello, and she was like, hi. And he was like, these guys did clerks. It made it was a movie at Sundance this year. And I remember just being like, oh my God, she's been in so many movies. Wasn't she, uh, was she could get her autograph? <laughs> I was thinking single white female and another Tarantino alumni. Whatever happened to Bridget Fonda? Bridget Fonda is currently married to Danny Elfman. Oh, okay. Bridget Fonda was also in Quentin Tarantino's Jackie. That's Pan. what I was saying. Another little stoner. Uh, yeah, girl. another uh, little be uh, yeah. beach girl, surfer girl. She was super hot back in the day. And wait, what is the connection between Eric Stoltz and Bridget Fonda? Didn't they date it? I think so. Yeah, I think they had I a relationship. They yeah, they were maybe that's how he knew her from him from the you maybe know maybe she was hanging around on the set or something but she was yeah. also huge, huge star yeah oh my god leading lady point, she was like it yeah it. that's why i can't believe that she's not she and, was anne hathaway and plus with the fa uh fonda name you know hollywood loves the lineage i bet you sooner or later she comes back oh look he does rear projection oh that's great yeah so that's a car on a sound stage and they're just shooting you know projecting a while he's shooting thing. heroin. And once again, all of these, I always love that shot with the blood coming in there before he shoots the, the heroin that he's cooked. The movie taught me how heroin was done. Yeah. I had no idea that you had to pull your blood in and then mix it and then shoot it back in. Yeah, now he's just... he's just Didn't know that you could drive a car while you were <laughs> yeah. high. It's interesting too, like Travolta, when you haven't seen him in a while, he's a little bloated, right? And you're like, oh, he's a little... Uh, it's not the John Travolta I remember, but he's still got those movie star looks. No doubt. You know? 
So the idea was, I'm going to get lit because I'm going to go out with my boss's wife. Yeah, so his boss went out of town, and because his wife obviously can't stay home for one night. And the boss's wife is an old trope from Pulp. It's it, This is a... Oh, good call. It, it's taking it and spinning that story. Mm. So, you know, a Pulp trope would be like, no, I can't, and I've fallen for the boss's wife. And as we know, things go a lot right. differently. Yeah, exactly. Things go askew. Which is interesting because you almost wonder if she, you know, if she doesn't have what happens to her, would they have ended up getting together? Because it was going, it was going down that road. That's and that's the thing. That's he's the king of subversion, right? Right. Like you think you know what you're about to get, and then all of a sudden, Sam switches and shoots the kid in the stomach yeah. on the couch, and. Suddenly, we're in a different place. And this is also, too, after they've just built up the whole Rocky, uh, Antoine Rocky horror with the foot uh, foot massage and all that stuff. And so what would have happened if he would have you know, done the dirty with the boss's daughter? He would have been killed, but he would have been killed worse yeah. if he killed the boss's daughter with some bad heroin. Because <laughs> she overdosed <laughs> yeah. on the heroin. Good point. It, was pure, it was good heroin. That's yeah. the point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is pure heroin. Which you cannot snort. This is... Uh, I remember seeing this place and being like, this counts as like, this is a rich person's house. <laughs> like, you That's know. That's their uh, guest house. Is that what it's meant to be? I don't know. I just made it up. Um, it is, uh, yeah. I mean, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm not, I'm not bragging, but I've been in way bigger houses than that. <laughs> I love uh, two shakes of a lamb's tail. That's uh, a very uma-esque thing to say in the tarantino universe now this is the first uh crossover with uma yeah and if i remember my film history correctly um they're on the set of pulp fiction yeah and you know she starts talking about like oh my god we should do a movie about like this chick who's this kind of like nice spin on your grave and it's just a revenge. Female and, Bruce. Know, she's like a bride, and that's where that's where Kill Bill was born. Yeah. The set of this movie between the two. That's why it says, like, story by, you know. Oh, with Thurman. Yeah. Ooh and, U and Q. Oh. Because they kind of came up with the uh, what they kind of Were they dating, or was she? I know he called her his muse at one point. I think she was more like, I, I don't, I never got the impression they dated but I, I know he did call her his like, muse yeah, inspirational. Like, yeah. like uh, his uh, Molly Ringwald to gotcha. his to, John to Hughes, Hughes right? like the person that really got the best out of him. And, now, isn't... Um, and there she is. the first time we're actually seeing her. Yeah, which is weird. And she's she, got that like makeup that makes her look like old Hollywood, that wig and that makeup Because you always saw her with blonde hair, and she's got that, you said, old school Hollywood hair. Now, isn't Uma's daughter... I know Uma's daughter is in Stranger Things. Don't be, don't a, be a, a rectangle. <laughs> I know. Yeah, I know, but it is got a rectangle. <laughs> and is, this think, was the most expensive item on the menu. They had to build Jackrabbit Slim. Really? Okay. And I remember it was a big deal. Like, Quentin, uh, you know, the Miramax folks were like, do you have to? Can't you just take an existing place? And, you know, that's you don't need to spend this much money on this place. But to Quentin, this was the had whole to. idea. That was the idea. Now, it's obviously a 50s uh, diner with the Ed Sullivan guys, the... Uh, is the uh, major D here? But is Uma's daughter in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood as well? Is she one of the Manson family chicks? Wasn't she supposed to be? I think, I think so, she is. Because right? I know I was just saying. Because I know she's in Stranger Things as well. So once again, Uma, and then brings in uh, your daughter, Willis's daughter, and Uma Thurman's daughter. Yeah, there's a lot of, and also uh, Andy McDowell's daughter. 
Really? Yeah, she's the one that's the girl who's the, oh, like, the flirting with Brad Pitt's yeah, yeah, yeah. The hair under her arms. Um, it's so funny you noticed that too. Yeah. I too was just like, is that hair under her yeah. arms? Now they got uh, uh, Ricky Nelson's up there singing, uh, Little Richard's at the table. They got uh, Marilyn, Marilyn Monroe. Monroe. But look at the set. They had to bring in cars, turn them into. Yeah. yeah. Like this place doesn't exist. They had a gutted restaurant that they There's went Stevie Sammy's Buddy Holly right there. There it is. My name is Buddy. Um, it, it's it, one of those places, the rent on this would be so huge, they would never make money on it. Um, but also, just like this was something that James Dean, James Dean, they wanted cut, and there's Martin uh, and Lewis, Martin Lewis, <laughs> something cut because it was going to cost a buck or two. But the dude had a vision where he's like, no, there's Zorro. Well, and the fact that they allowed him to, to, to keep that vision nine and a half million bucks. I like when they have the, uh, the, um, a debate on whether which one is Mamie Van Doren, which one is uh, Jane Mansfield, and which one is Marilyn Monroe. Right. right. <laughs> <laughs> um, she became the cover girl, the poster. Yes. Um, Uma, you know, laying belly down on a bed with a gun, reading a book that says Pulp, Pulp Fiction. With that outfit on, too, right? With that outfit, that same wig. Very um, under, uh, underdressed. Like, she's wearing really baggy clothes, but she's just got that sex appeal. She's some dude's wife, right? So she's not... She's not dressed to impress. She's Good not point. out there trying to get some dick, man. She's, My, <laughs> she's married. My name's Buddy. <laughs> um, the, uh, the, the, the notion of, what is this? Is this the $10 milkshake or the $5 milkshake? Yeah. Burned to a crisp or bloody as hell. That's great. Yeah. Uh, look, 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 once again, the ever-present cigarette, which... Uh, what about you, Peggy Sue? <laughs> what about you? The Derwood Kirby. Wow, I wonder who that is. Probably some, um, he's an old uh, adventure cow. Probably from in a cowboy movie or something like that. Let me look it up. Derwood Kirby. File. Did you just order a five dollar shake? And she <laughs> nods. Uh, that's a shake. That's milk and ice cream. Last I heard, that's five dollars. That's five dollars. You don't put bourbon in it or nothing? No, just checking. <laughs> It's 1994, man. Uh, like, they still hadn't heard of a... Like, could you imagine if you introduced these characters to what they'll pay for Starbucks? I was going to say Starbucks, today. yeah, exactly. Um, Derwood Kirby uh, was the co-host of the can of Candid Camera with Alan Funt. Oh, get out of here. So there you go, yeah. What happened to him? Because they say, like, I'll have the Derwood Kirby bloody. Oh, uh, let's just see. Maybe he dies. Oh, he died of a con congestive heart failure. So he wasn't <laughs> murdering like that. 88 years old. Good run. Yeah. Not a bad run at all. Did pretty well. We should be Is that so the lucky. only thing he did? That can't be the only thing. Um, There must be a reason why Tarantino has him in there, right? I remember Rocky and Bullwinkle, um, one of their adventures, they had to find the Kerwood Derby. <laughs> uh, Summer Stock on stage uh, was uh, on the Carol Burnett show. But his yeah, big thing no, is nothing really, Candy yeah. Cameron. Yeah. Hosted club matinee in Chicago. Yeah. Nothing really major. So... This is how somebody's going to be describing me one day. <laughs> 50 years from now, they're going through their version of like Wikipedia going, Kevin Smith, yeah, something called Clerks, something Mall Rats, nothing yeah. major. Uh, Kilroy was here, still unreleased. <laughs> <laughs> it's coming soon. <laughs> um, Fox Force 5 introduces the notion of a pilot mm -hmm. to people in the world that don't necessarily follow entertainment that closely. Even this was an exciting notion at the time. You sure. kids right now live in a world of information. The information highway provides everything you need and stuff. But a lot of people learned what a pilot was from watching, from this, watching this From her explanation of it. Fox Force 5, 
five because there's five of us. Forrest because we're strong and Fox because we're hot. Kind of made it with Kill Bill. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah. And so she was an aspiring actress that was in uh, in this movie. And her gimmick was she told a bunch of old jokes at the end of every episode. Her grandfather, the <laughs> old Bobillion. Look how serious she teaches it. I know, she's super into it. She's like, she's... I was on a boat in Cannes, so we were on not only the Pulp Fiction, well, we called it the Pulp Fiction yacht, but it was the Miramax yacht. <laughs> but Pulp Fiction, that's it was all the stars of that movie and shit. But oddly enough, at the end of the trip, they split the bill, the entire bill for Cannes, Miramax, everything they spent in Cannes. Not like, all right, well, Pulp Fiction, we were there for that, and 80% of the budget is theirs. They just chopped it up four ways. So even though clerks, like, they spent no money on clerks, <laughs> we had to carry a piece of their bill. You'd have to pay for it. Yeah, not oh. personally, but from it got added to our back end. Wow. That's how you hide profit. Oh. So the idea was like, oh, well, like, we don't have to give you back this much money because, well, we had to pay this much money, you know, to bring you to Cannes, which wasn't true. The festival flew me out. Wow. So we wound up footing a quarter of the bill for Cannes. It was me, fresh... Uh, the Princess Bride and Pulp Fiction, even though Pulp Fiction should have carried right eighty percent of that bill. Oh. I didn't figure that out till we got home. I was like, "Boy, they let us be at home on that boat <laughs> because they were like, you 'You're paying for a piece you of paid it.' The rent. Uh, I never forget the first record deal we had it was back in two thousand when records you still got a big deal if you had some potential, and it's like taking you out for dinner in New York and steak dinner, and then at the end of the the quarter you get your 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 money that you've made and the money that you owe, and you see like you know five hundred twenty five dollars because that at Burns Steakhouse. Oh, I get it. They took us out for dinner yeah. and then put the bill Charged on our you. tab. Yeah, exactly. Um, I was on a, a boat, so not that boat. A different boat? We went to a, on a sailboat, and we had to leave to go do press, me and Scott. And Quentin was on the boat, Lawrence Bender, and Uma, and what's her name? Greta. She was an actress. She was in... Um, uh, um, uh, that Harrison Ford movie, Presumed Innocent. Okay. I forget her name. She was in a bunch of stuff at one point. She was in the original Handmaid's Tale, not the one that's on Hulu oh, wow. now, okay. but they made a movie of it years ago. Um, so Uma and her are leaving the boat same time as us. Mm -hmm. And so they're like, well, the boys are going back to the mainland. You guys go back. And this is in the French Riviera. <laughs> And all these fuckers are on a giant sailboat, like, you know, and me and Mosier are gobsmacks. Everywhere you look, famous people and shit. So we get in this dinghy, and this guy, a little motor, brings us from the sailboat to the mainland and shit. And we're on the boat with Uma Thurman and Greta, whatever her name is. And so, that's shot, man, just slow-mo yeah. as she heads to the bathroom. Um. And she'd go into the bathroom to do to some blood. Do some lines, yeah. But um, so we're on the boat with her, and I remember the only thing I remember she said was she was like, where are you guys going? And I was like, you know, 23. So I was like, oh, we have to go do some press. And she goes, word of advice, if you don't want to do press, just don't do it. <laughs> that's what I said? Yeah. Uh, Greta Scatchy. Greta Scatchy, that's it. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. I mean, what a concept, right? I remember. Well, I mean, but also it's like, you know, you're at a place in your career where maybe that's a oh, thing. Oh, I know. But I said, I'm, you know, I didn't say this, but I'm like, I, I, 
I would never say no to somebody who wanted to talk to me. That's all I did this for. So people would want to talk to me. <laughs> I remember the first time I was going to wrestle, they wanted me to be cowboy Chris Jericho. I'm not a cowboy. Know nothing about cowboys. Hate country music. And I was told this one. So guy, they just picked it for the alliteration. Of I it guess all. So because Chris. it was from Calgary, and they you know wanted some kind ah, of Calgary. That's right, Cowtown. And I told the one guy who's in the business a couple of years, like, oh man, they want me to be a cowboy, Chris Jericho. What am I gonna do? He goes, just don't do it. I'm like, what? He goes, don't do it. I'm like, I have a choice. He goes, of course you have a choice. Just don't do it. I was like, yeah, I'm just not gonna do it. Meanwhile, some kid in his first match told me that oh, he wasn't gonna do an idea that I had. I would have made him freaking like you know, the goofiest cowboy ever with a giant dumb and dumber cowboy hat and assless chaps, but <laughs> they let me not do it. So yeah, want to do what press? is the? This is off topic, but I mean, look, they're having a long ass conversation and, and a good one, but a long about about, about not about about having uh, mindless conversation, and the conversation is mindless. But um, what? How goes AEW? So far, so good, man. We start October second, um, uh, or we might have what started do you mean start uh, on TNT weekly. So, uh, so a TV birth is yeah October second every, every Wednesday, and that's a big deal. Yeah, it's in a nationwide nationwide uh, cable TV, right? So yeah, it's cool, man. So after not really working much in the first eight months, now we get started. So we got a show. Now are you so you're back in the ring? Yeah, yeah, and and that and you're. You're a like a what do you call it beyond like a wrestler in it? But aren't you part owner? Uh, no, 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 no. The, the owners are uh, this family out of Jacksonville that uh, they own the Jacksonville Jaguars. Oh, that's right. That's yeah. Right. So I'm just kind of the first face of the company until right. we build up some of the names because I'm the most established guy they have. Right, right, right. Uh, but they they got a lot of great guys. It's it's going to be good, man. It's going to be good. So it's exciting. Um, and so the TV thing. Now, when was the last time? Like, I know you were. Uh, they did the didn't the start in Japan, the AEW thing. Or kind what? of the crux of it, New Japan. Wrestling. Yeah, it kind of did. That's where a lot of the guys were working. So, when um, was the last time you wrestled on like uh, American TV? Well, this is 2017, maybe. So you got like a nice two year yeah. build up where people are like, I can't wait to see. Yeah, this exactly, show. exactly. So it's going to be cool, man. It's uh. Now you're a guy who deals boots on the ground with a fan base face to face with the shows with Fozzie with the cruises and stuff like that do you think will you can you notice a difference in like I'm not on a show all the time versus like oh I'm on a show yeah really yeah so one beast feeds the other for yeah. sure yeah but I mean that's why it's so valuable to have a podcast because you know, it really, uh, even if you if you don't have anything going on, you always have something going on every yes. single week, twice a week for me and, and, you know, three or four, whatever it is for you. So, and that in this day and age, you know, it's like David Lee Roth said, here today, gone later today. If you don't have something. <laughs> here today, gone later today. Ow. Uh, you got to have something going on, you know. So, okay. So, here we go. Um, Ed Sullivan and uh, I believe that's Jane Mansfield. Not Marilyn Monroe. Oh, is it Meryl? Yeah. Uh, they're going to have a dance contest here. And this is where, you know, once again, it's a very cool kind of homage to John Travolta's great career. The restaurant, even though it's like kind of mostly 50s, looks like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. It does. Like it looks, with all the posterage and yeah, whatnot. That's it look, that's what, the thing about this movie, um, it never really gives a year. No. You, you know, it, it has could a be, kind of timeless. It could be any time. Right. Exactly. Some of the stuff, this looks like from the 60s here. Uh, she looks like she's from, I don't know, like you said, old school Hollywood. 
But, uh, and then, you know, Samuel Jackson looks like he's from 1972. So we don't really know. Here she comes, uh, once again. Uh, she's gonna kick off her shoes. Yeah. I mean, shoes. it's so funny. I never would have thought about it. Like, yeah, until you pointed out, she's just wearing her outfit as a tuck shirt. Yeah. It's tuxedo very, it's, shirt. it's very unappealing. Uh, and she gives his name, Ritzenberger. Ritzenberger. A little Elvis Presley thing there. And once again, you're looking at John Travolta, who the last time I was on a dance floor was like the hottest guy in Saturday Night Fever or Greece. Or when he dances, everyone just like, it takes you back to your childhood. Yeah. Because like, oh, he's a great dancer, even when they're doing the little thing with the eyes and stuff. It's a, it's, a, and this is where shit goes down between the two of them. This is where, you know, if, 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 if she hadn't, uh, had the accident with, with, if she doesn't the wind heroin, up doing all the heroin. Yeah. They might have ended up doing each other. Cause he has that whole, like, you're going to go home. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> you're going to jerk off. Jerk off you're going to go to sleep. Too. That's all you're going to do. <laughs> He's talking himself out of it, right? Um, what's well, John Travolta saying that shit? Yeah. Yeah. So right. Look at this shit, man. Like, Quentin knew the, exactly what he was doing. Yeah. Plays it big, wide, so you can watch actually John Travolta dance before he brings you in. Yeah. On, on his, on the, on his tiptoes there, which is killer. A great song too, the Chuck Berry, uh, not a hit of Chuck Berry's, but, just land here's like, now she's getting sexy. She looks super like I, I think the way that she's dressed in her hair, I never really found her hot until about now. Now now she's super hot. The uh Oh the swim, bro. <laughs> and it was just on the little eyes. How many people would do that to this day? Uh that's one thing I learned when I did dancing with the stars. Don't try and be funny when you dance. Because right? everyone wants to be funny when they dance, right? Like, oh, look at me. If you're really into it, that's the art form of it. Like them. Like, they're not trying to be funny. They're just into it. <laughs> Letting it all go. A little twist there. The nice uh, kind of note of them being on a big old 45. Oh, yeah. A ponytail there. Looks like an old Denny's, doesn't it? <laughs> that they got and went for. But like, look, look at the neon sign in the background with the cocktails. That's so like old school Hollywood. You go into any bar, like in Burbank, you're going to see that sign. Completely fabricated. Most expensive part of the production. Wow. Did they film this in Hollywood? Yeah, I guess it was the, all out the, here. the diner was filmed there, yeah. Um, Man, once again, like it's, you forget that he just goes as long as he wants to go. Yeah. And Especially there's no real significance to the dance scene. It's well, just a I nice was, piece of like, oh, they're getting even closer. I think that's like that, that. That, that's that's the that's but the, it's really the, more about a mood, a style. Sure, and that's the thing. that's the MacGuffin of it. If you How want to cool go there, is. is the fact that you know, this, look, they come in, they're super close. They say the number one thing when somebody wants to 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 know you, shall we say, is that there's lots of touching and feeling. If someone's touching you, that's a sign. Of course, there's the big reveal of the uh, dance trophy that they won. But we had, think about it, we had that big-ass conversation at the diner. That could have been enough. But yeah. this guy felt like, you know, it'd be really cool yeah. if they danced. And it's John Travolta. And he was right. Yeah. Like, even before he knew it was going to be John Travolta, he wanted Vincent Vega to dance. Then when he knew it was John Travolta, or as they were piecing it together, he was like, you know, that makes that dance even bigger. Yeah, yeah. Because now it's the guy who danced. For Saturday night, right? Fever and and, and Greece, yeah. The first time in a long time, man. Uh, here, here's another thing too: uh, Reservoir Dogs. Uh, Michael Madsen real also makes it feel timeless too. I sure. should point out. Uh, uh, Michael Madsen, the guy who cut the Marvin Nash's ear off in uh, Reservoir Dogs, his character was Vic Vega. So either they're, maybe they're brothers. 
Yeah, the Vega Brothers. They're um, meant to be, right? It yeah. Was always that. I'm sure we've heard that somewhere in the Tarantino. He connected his movies in a little way. Really too. did. That's what I mean. The Band Apart is very similar to View Askew with different characters, obviously, but same idea. So here she is dancing as, as John Travolta goes to the bathroom to convince himself that he needs to get the hell out of there. And the audience, though, is just like, they're going to f- Right. Because we right. don't know Quentin Tarantino at this point. Yeah. Even though Sam Jackson, or Jules, I should say, pulls a gun and pumps a shot into Flock of Seagulls on the couch, you know, that's not what we're necessarily expecting for the rest of the movie. That exactly. definitely got our attention. Yeah. But now, well, the storyline, this movie must be about these two. It's mm-hmm. about that guy was a gangster, and but the look, he's going to fall for the boss's wife. And I bet you that other guy, uh, Jules, is probably going to have to kill his friend after he the boss's wife because that's a natural inclination for an audience member to sure because that's what you ex- and try to figure shit that's out. what you expect to see once again not knowing that he always leads you in different directions and you know once again she's having a, a, a great time not a care in the world bare feet uh wearing vinia oh to be rich <laughs> here it is you go home you're gonna jerk off that's all you're gonna do this is a moral test of oneself and you know somebody speaking above their station in life became a, a trope that a lot of people stole for other movies yeah, yeah 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 right right, right, right. men talking you know so she pulls another cigarette out because she's constantly smoking she's looking for a light she gets it and uh she puts Whisper it back the other pocket and that's what she finds she finds a little uh heron and once again we know that she uh she's been doing coke all night and uh, she's looking for more. And when she sees this heroin, she thinks it's coke. Yeah, bingo. She don't know it's heroin. She's looking for some white. Yeah. And, you know, heroin sometimes darker than white. But this shit's so pure. Yeah, it's, that's right. Exactly. That's what Lance said. It's pure. And it's making a comeback Lance, in a big way. well remembered, man. That's right. We're about to re-meet Lance yeah, that's in a few right. minutes. Yeah. Who is amazing in this scene coming up once again. And you want to talk about a masterpiece of tension building. Oh, Yeah. Totally get to that moment. Good Lord. Yeah. I mean, I love he's still, <laughs> he's still trying to talk himself out of it. You walk out of the door, you get in the car. Remembering. Go home, jerk off. That's all you're going to do. Got killed for a foot massage. Right. And he's pretty much ready to jump. But the thing is, is she, is she going to do that? You know, I mean, what kind of a girl is, uh, is Mia Wallace here? We don't know. I'm thinking she does a few lines and they're ready to. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. And, but, but she does one line and the reveal here. It just right away burns her, or and maybe she's, she's just lonely, and she just wants to party. Maybe she wasn't gonna, fuck him, yeah, you know. Uh, right, boom! It's killing her nose, and she is out. Boom, blood. I remember first seeing this, and I didn't like. I didn't understand what was going on. Oh, you didn't remember it was heroin, or you didn't know you don't. I didn't know that heroin. would yeah. do that. Like I didn't. I'm like, what is the problem? Scott's like, you can't do that. I'm like, why? <laughs> like, you snort. You're just not supposed to snort heroin that pure. Oh, right. Because once again, we saw that. Oh, look at this. The blood, the, uh, the the puke. She's out of it, man. That's I mean, brutal. So is that what happens? What do you mean? Like, do you snort pure 100%? I guess I'll have to take his word for it. I don't <laughs> ever. <laughs> I don't think you and I will ever. Uh, oh, then the puke in there. Ugh, it looks like vanilla nasty. pudding. So at this point. He knows he's in big trouble. Yes. Oh, my God. And the audience is right with him because they're like, yeah. oh, my You're God. Now, yeah. Okay. Now the movie is. Is she's yeah. gonna die? Right, 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 right. He's on the run from the. I don't know what guys. that boxing Bruce Willis thing was, whatever. But now you forget about it because you're back here in this chase of uh, of bringing uh, of bringing Mia to to Lance's house to save her life. Got old school cell phone. It might actually be one of there's fruit. There's fruit, fruit brute. Yeah, it no, might fr- actually be one of the like first cell phones. 
Yes, yeah, you're absolutely right. And it also kind of puts it in an era. I mean, it's a flip phone, but it's like... Still. One, it's something that where you're like, well, that was clearly... They had cell phones at that now, point. Fruit Brute was one of the uh, Booberry... Uh, Monster cereals. Yeah. Ch- Count Chocula. Count Chocula. Yeah, Frankenberry. That was Eric Stoltz's shot in the trailer, him looking to the right. <laughs> Looking bored. He's very much a young Big Lebowski. Yes. Right? Uh, uh, He's got the same hair, same bathrobe. He's the typical neighborhood dealer. That's not Fruit Brute in the bowl, though. Oh. Looks like it's Kicks. Jody, uh, yeah, I thought you told his assholes. I said, I want to tell his asshole. And then they hear the. Yeah. I love this. Wait a second. Are you on the phone? Who is this? Prank caller, prank caller. Yeah, he's, big trouble, man. He's basically saying that I, uh, your heroin is going to kill my boss's wife. Um, so first time you're seeing this, back in the nineties, early nineties, you're like, oh my god! So now this is the story. Yeah, this becomes the new crux of the movie. Yeah, we're, we're we're and it's changing on a dime too, right? Because like you said, three minutes ago we thought, oh, it's going to be a story, but he fucks his boss's daughter, and then at a certain point, <laughs> you just give up trying to figure out. Yeah, once the you, movie. I think the next switch where it goes, I think the next scene, if I recall, is the Christopher yeah. Walken scene. Really, and that's another like, what the hell is going on? Here he comes, smashes right, and a great shot there by Tarantino too, going straight out the door. One camera. And here she is. Brings her out. She's out. She's done. I wonder if it was two cars. How do you mean? Like one car went past. Oh. The other car is preset. That's probably the safest way to do it, right? You wouldn't think. It's pretty convincing. But looking at the angle of the car, I bet you it went in hot past the houses. I just don't see where it could have went. Now, here's the reason. Yeah, this definitely had to be all preset. Yeah, you did. a chimney and shit. Right. And now he says, if you don't help me, I'm going to tell Marcellus Wallace that you didn't help me. <laughs> he just grabbed her like a rag doll. And I love Roseanne Arquette's total bitch, right? Lance! Lance! It's 1.30 in the goddamn morning. Yeah. There's a lot of light coming through that window for 1.30 in the morning. <laughs> Street lights. Um, this is a masterpiece of tension. Yeah. And once again, one shot. Camera just swinging back and forth. There's got to be an edit in here somewhere. Let's see. Let's wait for the edit. Yeah. I'm sure they'll remember they get close and yeah. stuff. Um, also see they're still following as he goes back into the room into the medical book though also the first look into like a suburban drug dealer's house right which normally in movies the drug dealers the house is a den of iniquity and blah 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 <laughs> this looks like every uh, every guy that was my friend and got their own place when they were 18 or 19 looked like this and this guy's selling heroin <laughs> yeah, that's, <laughs> yeah, more, right. that's the face of drug sales yeah. right there and once you're again, right they haven't cut yet they haven't so cut. far Still all on the one uh, on the one shot, and it doesn't even look like it's on a on a uh, on a, on a tripod either. It's handheld there. Handheld. Yeah, and I love it once again. It's all falling apart. The wife's still bitching at him. Everyone's yelling at him, and he's like, he just wants to find the medical book. And st- wow, still no cut. I hadn't noticed this ever before. You got to watch that with Tarantino. He does it quite often where you don't realize it because they don't make a big. There's your cut. cut right your cut. there. Yeah, exactly. So now we're down on the floor. Um, man, I'll never forget this scene because we're like, you know, what, what? And you hear them. And also a notion that I hadn't heard before. Like you could give somebody an adrenaline adrenaline shot shot. and save their lives. When they go to her, uh, her chest cavity and it goes, like it actually makes that sound. It's just like, oh, like, you know, you're going to, you have to, how hard you have to push that needle to get through that. Right. 
And again, educational. Who knew any of this was a thing? Right. I didn't know you could do this. I don't do heroin. No. I had a buddy that did heroin. Uh, thankfully, he cleaned up his act. Good for him, yeah. But never heard about this. No, I didn't. Like you said, I didn't know there was a magic shot. I mean, look at the size of that needle. Intimidating. <laughs> the whole <laughs> audience is watching this going like, whoa, shit. You give her the shot. Hey, you give her the shot. Next time I bring an ODing bitch to your house, I'll do the shot. Really great stuff. Injection of adrenaline straight to us. There's a breastplate. There's the sound. Dunk, dunk, dunk. What you got to do is, <laughs> <laughs> I got to stab her three times. <laughs> it's great. This is a great scene. It really is. And look at the chick on the couch over here. It's just like, <laughs> yeah. what? The random there. This is the type of scene, like, if they don't see each other for 20 years and they meet up, they'll have a a, a, a nice little handshake because they, they created some great magic here. Roseanne, Roseanne Arquette. Yeah. Looking at it like this is delicious. Yeah, yeah. And she's like, <gasps> "There's the drop, like a like a venom from a spider." Great push-ins. And this sound that they make too is like, "Dunk!" I aim for it, baby. Aim for it. Fantastic. The one with the shit in her face. <gasps> and she's up, and she's freaking out, and it just works instantly. And I love how she just looks terrible, as you would. And she's still got the damn needle sticking out of her boob. <laughs> Everybody's just slowly. Look at the framing on that shot, right? It's beautiful. Yeah, it's, it's big really wide, well man. Now, would the director frame that or would the DP frame that? I'm Quentin, probably. Yeah. Um, I, I would imagine he would be like, I've got an idea. I want to see the whole room. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Quentin's a student of, like, I, he's a true director. <laughs> Look at the makeup she has now. She looks like The Walking Dead. Like and she's not wearing... She's wearing a t-shirt. Oh, that's so right. It's like yeah. she's not wearing her tuck shirt yeah. anymore. And there's nothing for them to it say. Falls back to what they were saying at the table. I like having a relationship with someone where you just don't have to say a word. Right. And they definitely had to say a word. But There she is, a woman that nearly died. Yeah. Talk about a hangover the next day. <laughs> and, uh, and, of course, John. Or, uh, they Vincent, this like, real sweet moment. Can you please not tell uh, <laughs> Marcellus about this, please? Um, and, you know, still... You're like, will they kiss? Right. Like, like, there's no, uh, yeah. The, <laughs> like, they've lived through this. The like, moment's over. But you maybe don't. Maybe they could still make something happen but here. But in a great bit of awesome script writing, you don't get the kiss, but you get the joke. Yeah. And right? there is a kiss, just a one way. Oh, okay. Right, right. He blows her kiss. Oh, he blows her kiss. But then she she, she offers him the uh, the payoff of telling her the Fox Force Five joke. Which we never heard the end of it, right? Right. We we you know, she wouldn't tell you. Oh, she just looks awful. <laughs> I'm gonna go home and have a heart attack. That 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 was the first time I ever saw the face of I've cinematic. I've survived a drug overdose. Since Jennifer Jason Lee in Rush. Oh. Jennifer Jason Lee goes on to be in Hayfully. That's right. Exactly. Tarantino's Tarantino pretty much had the pick of the best actors in Hollywood, right? Yeah, oh, my God. Jason. Who, who said no? Well, only one who? that we know of. Uh, Will Smith said no to Django. Oh, really? So yeah. Jamie Foxx did it? Yeah. Huh. I wonder why. Didn't like the Historically, history of it or whatever. I remember that's the story. Yeah, but how do you say no to that? Well, some guys, yeah. I mean, I'm sure once he saw it, he was like, oh. <laughs> it went okay. Here's the blowing Here's the kiss. blowing of the kiss. And boom, our chapter's over. And now the audience in 1994 is like, okay, 
Right. All right. So I'm getting their chapters here. So now maybe we're going to go talk to uh, Sam Jackson and, or and, whatever. And, and I was right. Here's the next. This. What is this guy? This cartoon always freaked me out. Where it's a cartoon, only the lips move. Um, was it something Carson? Oh, it's just the worst. That little that little Eskimo guy. Just ugh. Um, Butch. Oh, no, wait. This, yeah, this is the mom. So the mom walks in. So we know that Butch is Bruce Willis. So it's a little kid. I mean, but who remembers that? Yeah, you're right. You're right. Like, you're seeing this for the and first time. And maybe this is Butch Jr. or something. Like, oh, that's meant to be Bruce Willis. You're like, wait. So where is this now? And POW camp and what? And here comes another tremendous actor, Christopher Walken. Uh, yeah. Now, Christopher Walken, this is 1994. I'm trying to remember. Um, He's also in True Romance. Yeah. And that happens, I believe, a minute after Pulp Fiction. Right. And it sold the script and they were making he, it. He wrote, the, he wrote it, but he didn't direct it. He didn't direct yeah. it. It was, I think, Tony Scott. Um, so Chris Walken's already in that. Chris Walken's already predisposed to like Quentin material. Um, or maybe he was connected from Pulp Fiction when it was set up at yeah. Sony. But regardless... Chris Walken bet big on Quentin. Well, he really likes his stuff. It's funny too because or Quentin really likes. Well, I'm sure it's mutual respect. There, I think we've you and I have discussed this before. The greatest one scene monologues in history, and we've mentioned Donald Sutherland and JFK, and we mentioned Alec Baldwin and Glenn Glenn and Glenn Ross. Mm -hmm. This would have to be up there too. Chris Walken in in Pulp Fiction. There's another great one too that I I thought the other day I was going to text you, but I can't remember what it was. But yeah, very very classic, iconic. uh, monologue here. He's only in the one scene. That JFK monologue is Donald he, he pieces together master. the whole movie. Yeah. Like, without... And, and you want to talk about a masterpiece of suspense. It's one dude talking. Yeah. But the urgency of his delivery heightens your... Of course, you got John Williams' masterful score behind him. But, like, his fucking delivery heightens your suspense, heightens yeah. your heart rate, where you're like, wait, 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 what? And you, you got... It's such a powerful monologue, it makes you look over your shoulder. Yeah, and if you took that monologue out of the movie, the movie wouldn't make as much sense. No. I think I've told you this story, but I'll tell you again. I was actually watching JFK back when you would watch a DVD on the plane, mm-hmm. and sitting beside behind me was Donald Sutherland. So I said, hey, I'm, you know, same thing you always say to someone like that. I'm a fan, you know, big fan. Um I'm actually watching JFK right now. Can you sign this for me? And when when, when I said I was a fan, he was he was cool. But when right. I actually had JFK, he was like, "Oh wow, what are the chances of that?" And he's like, "Yeah, sure, let me sign this." He signed my my DVD, which I've since probably sold at a garage sale or something stupid like that. Did but you tell him you were also Canadian? I, I don't think I did. You didn't trade on the Canada yeah, card. I don't, I don't think I uh, gave that one there. I, I just the first thing I'd throw out there. I was like <laughs> Canadian. Well, that's like saying that's something that a guy from the states would say. Like I'm from Canada too. Well, so are 30 million other people. <laughs> <laughs> and that guy from the states would be like, "Oh, you're from Canada. You know Dave in Montreal? Yeah, you, you met him, right? <laughs> yeah. He's the Winnipeg. guy in Vancouver runs the Japa dog cart. Come on, man. You know <laughs> what I'm on, talking dude. about? Come on, you know you know Bruce. Come on, man. <laughs> so uh, this is the big story of uh, showing how important this watch is to Butch because his dad uh, uh, gave it gave it down. Uh, passed down generations from great grandfather, grandfather to grandfather to, to dad. And then Christopher Walken had hit it up his ass. And they do, you know, up until the moment they drop the ass bomb. It's a very serious, 
Yeah. And then monologue it, about being trapped. And then he goes into slopes and, and you know, this becomes. Yeah. And this Quentin's got a, got a. Uh, Quentin has a, a real modicum of, of, of racism in his movies. As I mean, far as he feels free to use the N word a lot. N word. In, in, in Hollywood, there was no N words, but there's a lot of Mexicans. Mexican talk. Don't cry in front of the Mexicans. Right. Exactly. This one slope. You can never say slope. It's, you know. And, and that's the other thing. It's like, wow, this was back in. 1960 whatever and well, you could he, say, he yeah. survived uh you know vietnam, uh, vietnam so like there's camp yeah excuses or whatever but like that's lost in the midst of him telling a story about how his dad stuck this watch up his right. ass and then christopher walken stuck his, was stuck the watch up his ass so that he could bring it all the way back to america and give it to, to give push. to this kid and boom right. this kid wakes up and it's Bruce Willis. Yeah, and he's getting ready for his fight. Now, this is also a fight trope, like uh, of old fight movies and whatnot. Uh, the idea of the fighter paid to take a dive. Right. Uh, Willy Wony on behalf of the mob and stuff like that. So they don't show you the fight in this movie. No, they don't. You hear it. Yeah. You hear it. And once again, don't forget, he was supposed to go down in the fifth round. Pride only hurts. You don't need pride. And so not only did he not go down, he killed Wilson. Butch killed Wilson. So um, that shows that not only like it wasn't an accident, he literally killed the guy. So now Marcellus Wallace is coming after you because he probably lost millions of dollars on this fight. Uh, love this scene here too. I think her name is uh, Mira Medeiros or something like that. I've never seen her before since I'm sure she's a really popular actress in Mexico or Spain, but very, very hot. And she, she's in on the, on it. She doesn't, uh, rat Butch out. That was a f- real stunt that you just saw there. Jumping from the, the, the window to the that was garbage somebody bag, that garbage literally can. went from like a building into a garbage can. There were some, you know, uh, cushions in there, but like, yeah. That's Nowadays, that would have been a CG. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Chat. Can I just say something too? There's a Coolidge versus Wilson. Is that some kind of a presidential thing, like a Calvin Coolidge versus Woodrow Wilson? I wonder they... if that must have been. I bet just some Butch point they Coolidge. must have been up against each other. So uh, here you go. The, the which got the f- out of Dodge. Yeah, and there's uh, and there's the, the first time you've seen Mia seeing Vinny Vega, and she does not even uh, look at him. She says, "How you doing?" She says, "Great." I never thanked you for dinner, and don't uh, say. Uh, and then we're moved past that. And there's the Band-Aid still there. And we still haven't seen Marcellus Wallace's face. Oh, uh, I love this, too. His, his trainer, uh, he says he doesn't know anything. Take him to the kennels and sick the dogs on his ass. We'll see what he knows and what he don't. And you know that Marcellus is a bad, bad mother. I'm prepared to scour the earth for that mother. Can you imagine being the trainer for this guy and, and Butch kills him and then he takes him to the kennels and sick the dogs on him? This is, like, oh like, my I gosh. Didn't do anything, I didn't do man. anything. I'm just, I, I, he hired me for 50 bucks. He got out of there so fast he's pulling his gloves off. Yeah, still sweaty. She likes it too. She if knows you something happened. see more of her, you know, there's a whole movie about her. Really? Yeah, it's called Curdled. About this character? Uh-huh. Really? Yeah, yeah. Who it wrote was, that? Uh, I don't know. Quentin produced the movie. Really? Miramax put it out. Didn't go very far. She played the part. Um, it was a character that she had done somewhere or something that really? Quentin liked. And so he was like, I want to use that character in this scene. So oh. part of the deal was they Miramax... So the movie funded a movie for those people and her, and it was called Curdled, and it was her driving around a cab and 
she, it's not vampires, but she lets some creatures really? in the night. Yeah, she's got to deal with I'm trying to stuff. find her name right here. Um, just enter curdled. Curdled. And Bruce just found out, or Bush oh. just found out, that Floyd died. Yeah, he But he beat bad. him to death. Her name is Angela Jones, playing Esmeralda Villalobos. Yeah, Villalobos. Uh, Villalobos, a cab driver, agent Bush escape. Her casting and character were inspired by her performance in the 1991 short film Curdled. Yeah. Later remade as a 1996 feature film with finance from Tarantino and again starring Jones. Yeah. So he saw some short film called Curdled and liked her and liked it. And so included her in the script for Pulp Fiction. And, and then later on had to, or, you know, wanted to let them make Curdled as a feature. And uh, in Slash's biography, Slash, it was mentioned that while recording the soundtrack for Curdled, he had a huge crush on her, and the two had a short-lived relationship. Jones was the inspiration for Slash's song, Obsession Confession, that he wrote for the Curdled soundtrack. Wow. Hmm. So there you go. So by Guns N' Roses was uh, fascinated. With, Esmeralda uh, Villalobos. And she's not, her name is Angela Jones. Yes. <laughs> right? Um, I am Colombian. Wow, booch. Hello, booch. Um, this is uh, a scene that, like, you know, if I was, if I was cutting the movie, and they're like, you gotta lose some time. Two and a half hours. Like, come on. Yeah. Get it down to two. This would be one of the first scenes on the show. Good point. Block. I would have shown him jumping out of the window. And, or you don't even have to. These They, they say You're it. hearing it. They he say booked, everything. He's gone. And then you just right. see him hooking up with there's, his lady. That's like, there's really no reason for this scene. Nothing happens. Once again, more rear projection. In black and white, no less, it looks like. Right? Yeah. Yeah. I. Uh, w- what does this scene accomplish? What does it do? Get to learn a little bit about Butch. He doesn't feel bad about this. Killing probably the, guy. the scene that like made Bruce Willis go like, "Oh yeah, I'll maybe, this. yeah." You know, you get to act. That's true. Um, and she is a cool character. Once again, it's this. It's this. You know, he. I guess he takes her to the to the to the. He takes him. She takes him to the phone booth. And where we he talks to, out here like, oh, okay, he screwed over Marcellus yeah. Wallace and bet big and. They're going to make a lot of money. Right. And so let's collect, but we got to get out of town because these guys are looking to kill me. Yeah. And they said, and he said, if the guy was a better boxer, he wouldn't have died. So go f- his ass. So, you know, there you go, man. Once again, it's, uh, you know this. I mean, you write amazing movies too. Like, how would you? How do you think of this shit? Like, okay, and then I'll have a boxer who screws over the guy, and then he ends up hitting him, walking across the street, and they you go. To think a- about it as you're sitting around a video store down in Venice. Because yeah. then he worked at a video store, right? Yeah. yeah. And uh, you sit around, you talk about it with your friends, and it'd be cool if we did this thing in a movie. And one of your friends is like, "Yeah, man, you could do this." Like, I think Roger Avery's segment was. The boxer. Oh, that he wrote. Because, yeah, there's two, like, they share the screenplay Oscar. Right. Quentin directed, but it's a screenplay by Quentin Tarantino and Roger, and Roger Avery. Avery. I don't think they're remotely friends anymore. Oh, I had a falling out. But they worked together at the, what was the video store? I oh, what it was gotcha. In Manhattan Beach, not, not Venice, Manhattan Beach. I used to have a girlfriend that lived in Manhattan Beach. So Roger I think, Avery. if I remember correctly, this is his this segment the boxer segment was, was the his. one that came from it so where does it come from you're sitting around you're like 
I would love to do like, you know, my version of those fifties and sixties movies, like, you know, my spin on the boxer movie, my spin on like yeah, gangster yeah, sure. movie and blah blah blah. And then the boss's wife like said the tropes is what you keep using. Yeah. I he, mean you, know, it, you Rod- take it and you remix it. And Roger wrote much of the outline for the gold watch segment in Pulp Fiction as well. That's what we're watching right now. Yeah, exactly that. And then uh also here's something funny. Roger Avery from Flin Flon, Manitoba. Is he really? The hometown of my mom. Get the f*** out yeah. of here. My so mom, he was Canadian kid? He was Canadian, yeah. Flin well, Maybe his dad was American, so he's one of them dual citizen kids. Exactly. And there's Flin Flon is the home of Bobby Clark. It's the truth. Yeah. And the lady who is one of the hosts on Good Morning LA yeah. uh, is also from Flin Flon. Are you kidding? Yeah. The big statue in town is Flin Tabity Floniton, uh, which is like the big Paul Bunyan-esque character. What is his name? Flynn Tabity Flonaton. Oh my God. They wanted to come up with a name that people couldn't remember. <laughs> exactly. Except uh, unless you were a big time Flynn Flon fan, which well, is hard to say. Um, it's interesting uh, as we're, we're actually getting to the end of the segment here. I think um, at the end of this show, uh, I think probably at the end of this scene. So this is where Butch comes here. And for once, once again, this is really strange. French girl with a bob haircut who, uh, what's the what's the deal with her? Do we know anything about her, who she is? This is the first time we're meeting her in the whole movie. Yeah, and uh, she's very annoying. Oh, she wants a pot belly. Would you punch me? I'd punch you in the pot belly. Like, he totally babies her. Quentin loves uh, f- women from uh, overseas. Gotcha. Not Americans. In, in his movies particularly, right? Like, uh, in Once Upon a Time, in Hollywood, uh, Leonardo's character goes off, meets an Italian actress who comes back and you talks some, with this amazing accent, you just want some, like her here. Do you want some trivia on that? You know yeah, who that yeah. girl is? In real life? Yeah. No. Eli Roth's ex-wife. Are you kidding me? Yeah. So that's how he knew her? I guess. Is she Italian in real life? No, uh, she's uh, from Chile. But she played Italian. Yeah, she played America. Italian in that, but it's- uh, That's so wild. No, Lorenzo, Lorenza Iza. So I think she's, I think she's Chilean. I think so I he so. loves, you know, look, he loves, you know, foreign movies and stuff. He loves the, the a woman with an accent. Yeah. It's oh, one of his things. One of his things. His movies. You know what I feel bad about this? I, it always bothered me even more so now. Poor Butch, if you saw him when he came out of the, the ring, he was covered in sweat. He gets home. He just wants to take a shower. He doesn't even make it. He doesn't get his shower tonight. After he kills a man and wins hundreds of thousands of dollars, he doesn't uh, he doesn't get to take a shower. Oh my God, you're right because he's going to head out. <laughs> he falls asleep. Yeah, yeah, with his uh, semi annoying blueberry pancake obsessed uh, girlfriend here. He ain't going to leave this apartment until like uh, let me see one twenty eight. Where are we? Right well, we now? we can end it when when we'll leave, when, well, when he leaves the apartment. But still, I'm like we have, and I'm not bitching. Nine more minutes. Of these two in this hotel room <laughs> well because they fall asleep and then he they wake up and he's in the shower and then she goes through a whole blueberry pancakes thing but again with the running time if you were just like hey man get this down to a reasonable yeah. two hours i would cut most of this scene i would completely cut the blueberry pancake scene but once again you know this is what tarantino does and i know you were talking about hollywood once he works time. at his own pace he works at his own pace and he gets to the point but it takes like you said it takes him a while it's not that he takes him a while. It's a choice, mm. bro. Like, he's, he knows what he's doing. Yeah. And what he says is, Q, you're going to like it more if you wait for it. Like, when you go to a fancy restaurant. Right. You don't get your food in five minutes. Yeah. You're 20 minutes, 30 minutes. Yeah. Like, the anticipation makes it even better. 
he pulls the taffy on a moment. So he'll milk this scene, make it 10 minutes long Mm -hmm. because something's about to happen. Now, he just served us up with a good hour of surprises. Right. Long setups for massive punchlines. So now you're willing to sit for 10 minutes through this hotel room shit because you're like i don't know it's gonna go somewhere because this guy's tricky and whatnot will you give me oral pleasure will you kiss it and then you sit there going like you know what that was worth the wait <laughs> that was worth the wait i like hearing her say oh, we're a pleasure yeah um yeah man he makes you like bruce willis like butch is portrayed here in the scene he works you like a good lover yeah yeah he's, he's a, a lot of foreplay it. yeah a lot of foreplay, of foreplay before he me, I'm like rushing right to the... But this guy is just like pulling that taffy out one night. Look how long we're going to hang on her. I love... Uh, and this, this will release this way after the movie comes up. I love in Jane Silent Bob reboot when, uh, when, the, when the, the chick takes Silent Bob into the bathroom and gives him a little, how's your father? Of course, the chick is your wife, but I love that. It's the only way I get away with it. <laughs> um, how about this retard? Don't call me Richard. And then he does the he does the voice. You could never get away with that. It's no, terrible. Look at that. Well, president can get away with that voice. Oh yeah. Does, oh my gosh, so, right? Uh it is uh still, again, I ain't bitching. No, you're you're making you're making a point. I just want to point out how good of a filmmaker he is. We're still in this hotel room. Yeah. Nothing has happened for quite <laughs> yeah. some time. Nothing has happened basically. Although we still we want to see Bruce's dick so well, yeah, right? he's like showed his time. dick in a couple movies, hasn't and, he? And you could kind of see it here like at one point. Oh, there oh, oh shit. Woo! We saw his Willie. You always know it's Bruce a good Willie. Movie. when you when you can... <laughs> Bruce Willie is No, he ain't a f- he he's proud of that dick. He ain't a saint. He, he'll like, show you it. couldn't pay me. I've been like wearing panties under that towel <laughs> I this, this guy's just swinging his dick you hear those stories where someone gets like a fake dick and pubic bush to put on so yes. it looks like a real dick but even it's not your real dick but basically though nothing that would have been me please get me a fake stunt dick please <laughs> nothing has happened since he jumped out of the window into the dumpster yeah and that was like 40 minutes ago he had a long ass conversation with the chick in the cab and we heard like oh alright he's screwed okay. over some people and he's right, gonna we get know some that, money we know the guy died he needs to wait for money we know that much and that's why they, we saw another dick, dick again. again jeez I never realized so much Will, Will, Willis Willie there is in this look at shape where's the shoe store Don the style Zapateria yes she's super annoying though honestly and I'm, I don't know if they play her like that or whatever and I'm sure she's a nice lady but I could last about three I seconds with her, this that chick little French accent oh but it's like hey, well you grew up around that in Canada yeah. you probably had a lot of that but for this those is, of us who grew up in the States we're like French this is real That's French amazing. though there's a difference between real like, like people from France consider French Canadians to be like like bargain basement French is that right yeah it's different uh, different type of it's like, problem. It's like, why do people like people will find any reason to be like yeah You've, uh, you, we have, you don't have stars upon yours. We have stars upon ours. Yeah. <laughs> it's real sneeches. No, it's, Dr. Seuss is a f- brilliant genius, man. <laughs> Think about it. He he nailed it with that f- sneeches shit. And, when, then and when he, again, I am not bitching. We are still in this f- hotel yeah, room. We've she, gone two dissolves. And I forgot to, it ends, he does get his shower that night. And it ends with her brushing her teeth, and he wakes up, and she's still brushing her teeth, which is kind of cool. But it's like, we, nothing has happened yet. No. We've like, been in this room for a long-ass time. Is man. this the great escape with Steve McQueen right there? Yeah, he loves uh, to take us to the movies and make us watch people watching movies. Yeah, yeah. We do the big scene of this, and once upon a time in Hollywood, Hollywood yeah. we go to the movies with Sharon Tate. That's right. Um, I, God damn, I mean... I know she looks great. Don't get me wrong, but he, I can't take my eyes off of him. Look how f- 
And for me, this is, this is like I said, this is the last vestiges of Bruce looking like an ass kicker, it's looking hard, beautiful body, yeah, man. He's, tiny he's ass, super nipples. hot. He's all sin. Hair looks and... good. Like he didn't lose his hair. He still got. It looks little... like a choice right yeah, now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The hair thing. Yeah. Um, exactly. and he's got the reflection going on, on the TV and whatnot while he's showing in the movie. But yeah, look at him. This is. I love the sea change here, though, man. Young Bruce, right here. When, uh, when he finds out that the watch is gone. This is when he goes from nice, happy sex Scratching guy. his dick occurs to me as a real Bruce Willis move. That wasn't acting. That was just like... <laughs> that was another Pulp Fiction trope. <laughs> yes. <laughs> they used to do that in the movie. <laughs> man, oh, my oh God. Man. Shut up already. Blueberry pancakes. You forget how long this scene is. Oh, and how bad her hair is. What is that? Look at that. Why, she got kind of umish hair. It's, uh, uh, what's the one? The Joan of Arc. Is that what that is? Yeah, I think so. It's not a bowl cut? Well, Joan so of Arc it looks like Emo cut. Phillips right there <laughs> from the back. I was in Pulp Fiction. I was, <laughs> I was in Pulp <laughs> Fiction. I had blueberry pancakes on Pulp Fiction. <laughs> <laughs> Any time of day is good for pie. Blueberry pie to go with the pancakes. Okay, now. All right, enough. Still, editing wise, you could have gone from, you know, we saw the story. We know how important the watch yeah. is. So. Kills the guy. You didn't, I'm, again, I'm not right. saying it makes the movie any less. It won an Academy Award for screenwriting, so f*** me. What do now, we know? What do I know? Right. But that being said, this is what you got to get to. I guess his feeling was like, show him happy, show yeah. him getting along. But then, it, due to Flip, where he goes nuts, because we know yeah. how much this watch means to him. It, his dad carried him to Vietnam. You get a great moment where he's like, do you know how... It got here, and she's like, no. And he's like, well, it's a long story. Yeah. But, and we know that long story. And then she starts kind of crying, you know? Oh, he breaks her. Yeah, yeah. she starts to ball, and he's, he's had enough. Do you have any idea what he had to go through to get me that watch? Oh, I've time yeah. to go into it. We went through a lot. <laughs> this shit you can set on fire. I speak to him around it. Not to forget the fucking watch. And it's so funny, man, because, like, he just, like, we know the only reason he goes back for that watch is because of the monologue that Chris Walker. That's did. right. And that's what means so much to him. Which Without that monologue, up, you're like, why is this crazy motherfucker need that watch? I mean, look, I like my dad too, but like yeah. the, the gangsters are looking for you, man. Get the fuck out of once there. Once again, though, it all pieces together once you see the whole thing. And, you know, if you're patient, you're rewarded. And you get to see like him wigging out and flipping out and stuff like that. Yeah. And then he calms down. Now he, he is a boxer. He is a guy who just he beat just a murders, guy to he death. He just beat someone to death with his hands. Yeah, exactly. Unnecessarily. Think about that. Like, you know, you shoot somebody, now stab you somebody. Like Esmeralda Villalobos. You're like, <laughs> what's it like to kill a man, <laughs> man with your hands? With your hands, exactly. Think about how crazy you have to be to beat somebody to death with your hands. And with boxing gloves on. Right. It's not even like, you know, my bones are hitting your f- bones. And yeah, shit. yeah. Is that, I mean, here, I don't even know what I'm talking about. Your guy knows if I can. Those boxing gloves. If you didn't have them on and you were just hitting like MMA people, do they wear anything? They, I think, have like a, a smaller type of gloves. That's something they they arrange with the like go wear ten ounce gloves. I think they, I think they do. I don't know. If without the gloves, if the fight game was just about I'm bare knuckle fighting you like Clint Eastwood, like right. Philo Beto, <laughs> wouldn't that like hurt? <laughs> thank you. Wouldn't that hurt so much more? Yes. Than a boxing well, glove. Well, that's why you have boxing gloves. You don't want to kill somebody in a boxing. But this guy, as we saw, he had boxing. There so, he is again. Look at that 
Hot body. God man. damn it, he looks good. He's hot. God damn it, Look he that. looks good. Look at that. Look, he looks like a guy like you know he beats him. You know, you can see the beginning of a dead body. It's not all sinew. There's you know. Well, yeah, he, once again, this is '94, Bruce. Not but still uh, in '94. You can get away. In '94, that was for look how. And then you put this. Oh, and he's tucking the tight, tight white t-shirt on there. I never do that, dude. Look at that waist all tight, man. Yeah. But anyway, what were we saying before I got lost? I just talking about the fight game. How how hard you'd have to punch somebody. We saw him jump out with gloves on. Yeah, we know he didn't rip them off. Well, you can't kill the man. With those gloves, so how hard? And it's not. And the thing is, too, it's not like he jumped on him from the from the mount and grounded and pounded and bashed his face in fifteen times. He hit him once, twice, and killed him. So hit him in the temple, maybe, or just got him in the right spot that actually killed him. So, um, and so that sets us up to know that this guy is lethal. He is lethal, and I think we should stop it now. No, we'll stop it after the. Oh, okay. The impact. Oh, it goes to black. Great, and now he just flips out again. Um, Specifically, remember, don't and he's driving a shitty little shitbox car, <laughs> her shitbox car. But now, mind you, the whole world's looking for him, and he knows that. Yeah, he don't want to get f- killed. He's all they have to do is get to the money, and they're out of town, yeah. and he's in the clear. I love the uh, little Jackrabbit out on the radio. Once again, all he has to do is just leave, but he has to get this watch, which takes him back to. Where? His house, his old apartment. Where too. everybody presumably would be waiting. Yeah, of course someone's going to be there. Or they're going to have someone stationed there or something. And again, this is a masterpiece of suspense. Because yeah. you're sitting here going like, oh, f-. I think there's some kind they're of- They're going to be there. The watch ain't worth it, buddy. Don't f- Don't go. do it. Don't do it. I think there's some kind of alarm going off in the background there, too. And just a shitty area of town, too, right? Like, just Dangerous. empty lot. And it just sucks. So look at him, man. He's 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 stealthily like we've been on him. We haven't cut this whole time. Yeah. So he's been tracking with him this whole time. There's a brown. Once again, building jacket. all this anticipation, all the suspense. You're like, what the man? Yeah. They're gonna get him. All right. I've been watching this movie now. Right. I know he, this. Right. He fucks <laughs> me left and right. Yeah. There's no way he's gonna get in there, and they're gonna kill him. And he's walk gonna- in, and the and the big black <laughs> dude. Who we don't quite remember. We're finally going to see his face. Yeah, he's trying to see yeah, his face. And he's going to be wearing the neck. watch. Yep. You looking for this? Something like that. We're trying to guess at this yeah. point because now we're not guessing standard shit. We know this filmmaker is taking us on a journey. Right. So now he's making us use our imagination in a big bad way. Going, oh, what the f- is he going to show us now, man? As he goes to this Mister Miyagi Daniel San like apartment <laughs> Great complex. Call. Great call. Um, and you don't, you don't. You're like, come on, come on. Yeah. It's they're on the other is side of the thing? door. They're all waiting. Someone's going to come from behind or someone's going to hear something. See, this is cinema. The dude's like Hitchcock. Yeah. He's- what a great shot right there, too. Like, as a, as a, like you said, the cinematography, the key in the lock, adding to the suspense. And how slow he... And he goes... And Bam, no we're way. in. Obviously, nothing. nothing's happening. Okay. All we're right. Good. good. So far, so f- And then he gets cocky, of course. Now there's nobody in his room, in his house. There yeah, it is. There's the picture of her. There's his dad's watch. Now leave. Get the f*** out of there. But no, he has to stay because- There's pictures of his dad fighting. He's getting cocky. So he decides to make some Eggo waffles or Pop-Tarts. No, no, no. What are they called? He don't make shit. Oh, that's right. Looking good, Butch. He hears the toilet. No, he's going for oh, toaster he is pastries. Going yeah. It. Oh, my God. You're right. He I always thought no. there was something already in the toaster. No, he puts them he in there. He puts them in the yeah, toaster. Yeah, he's, now he's getting cocky. I forgot. Right? And then he sees the- 
submachine gun yeah. on the counter. Now, I want to point something out, too, uh, once we see what's the big reveal here. Uh, this is when he notices there's a giant submachine gun sitting on the countertop or whatever the hell that thing is. It's a bad, and then the toilet flushes. And then there's a toilet flush, and we realize that, oh, my God, oh, Bush shit. just got massive jump on the yeah. on these fools. Comes out, and then they look like, oh, shit. And it was the guy who called him Palooka and Punchy. Yeah. He's reading a Modesty Blaze book, which yeah. Quentin was going to, for a long time, was attached to direct and on the Pop-Tarts. And there's the end Ba-bam. of Vincent Vega. Now, once again, we see Vincent Vega yeah, plenty say, that's more times. not the end of Vince right. Vega for us. We're like, holy shit, they just killed John Travolta. Yeah, chronologically, get, it is, but we, we see- We get a third act with yes. him. Now, I want to point something out that lots of stuff happens- because people are in the bathroom. Yeah. Specifically Vincent Vega. He's in the bathroom and dies. He's in the bathroom later on when uh, when Tim Roth pulls the gun at the diner. Yeah. Uh, the other cat's in the bathroom when Jules has his uh, has his big- uh, Alexis Arquette. Uh, yeah. There's a lot of bathroom reveals. Um, the moral of all these stories is listen to your bladder, kids. <laughs> that's right. You could save your life. It seems like Vincent always has to go poop, though. I think that's the thing. It's like his, bow- his bowels are- uh... Now, in this version or where we are in the story, there's no Jules because Jules has decided- To walk the earth. To walk the earth. Having adventures. So that's why Vincent just dies. Basically, yeah. So at the end of the movie where they part ways- If you were to do this chronologically, this is Vincent's last scene. This might be the last scene of the movie. Yeah. Because if you, if you think about- the... No, no, no. Because he's got to go- what happens next? What ha- so the end of the movie is him walking out of the pawn shop, basically. Yes. That would be the end of it. Yeah. Yes. Because and the- you would have been mind f- if that was the sure. end of the movie. But still, he found a different way to do but it. But the real end of the movie uh, ends, ends in the diner. walking out of this. And show. they walk out of the diner with their clothes on. Yes. And then Jules goes to have adventures. And then Ju- and then Vincent puts his hitman outfit back and on he and goes, goes back to work. Goes, and they go to the, that's where they meet. Well, wait a second. That's where he's at the fight. He's at the fight by himself. Yes. With the, up, with, yes. the, with the bartender, with Paul, the bartender. Where we saw him. Yes. My name is Paul. It's between y'all. The mother- it was the him. night before where they come smoking through the hallway and he's right. gone. He saw Mia Wallace. So this is mere hours after that. Yeah. And the Mia and Wallace thing. Jules is thing, off walking the earth at that point. The, the, yeah. And the Mia Wallace thing might have happened after Jules was off walking the earth too, as far as the heroin and then the. Oh, because they talk about that? No, no. Because they talk about him going out for a date. But yeah. They talk about him going well, for a says, date. He says, like, at, in the hallway of the fight, like, when Bruce Willis is gone, he goes, uh, how you doing? And she's like, good. I never thanked right. you for dinner the other night. But they, so this is what happens because they're at the bar where they're wearing the, you know, the, the T-shirts. And, and so that's the last time you see Jules. He goes off and walks to the face of the earth. Yep. Then, 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 then Vincent continues working. Uh and they go from there. The song always reminds me of my dad. Oh yeah! He's oh really? A big country fan. Is this the? I wonder the, what corner this is. I'm gonna go find out what corner this is. The internet will know. Is it, what song is this? Is not is it the Righteous Brothers? Uh, or? The Statler Brothers. Statler Brothers. And look and at this walking across the street. First time we're gonna see the face of Marcellus Wallace, but we've recognized those big earrings. What a great reveal! Of, and the fact that he's looking at this guy, looking at him with recognition. He's like, motherfucker! Are you and, kidding me? And he just puts in drugs, him, and then he gets bam. hit. And it's just chaos. And Boom. it's all building up to the moment we get to see there we go. Boom. Kathy Griffin. Yeah, and Karen Nakamura. My um, we pause right there, folks, uh, with 59 minutes and 37 
seconds to, uh, to the movie uh, remaining because we're going to finish the rest over on my podcast. Yeah, we are, like we did last time. We're going to go over to Smodcast to finish it. But meantime, we are still on your show. Thoughts at this point? Once again, like you said, we have to watch this as if we haven't seen it before. And we're yeah, just... Yeah, mind you, the the like us going, or rather me going, you could lose this. Yeah, yeah. That comes from somebody who's been watching this movie for 25, 25 years. years. I mean, seriously, I've probably seen this 25 times, right. if not more. Like when I was still living by myself in Calgary and I had like three pers- pieces of furniture in my house, one of them was a VCR and the 10 cassettes that I had, one of them was Pulp Fiction. And, and it was in constant rotation. Well, yeah, yeah, exactly. So you could put it on, do other things. In the yeah, house. exactly. And I think we're now figuring out that you're not going to go the same he's not going to go the same way he's going to take you in different directions and now there's the reveals we haven't even seen yet are even crazier yes than what we've seen but basically what i'm thinking is it's so well written great cinematography and the acting is is a plus 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 even even guys like eric stoltz we mentioned frank whaley Roseanne arquette the minor name a single weak link right there name isn't the weakest link is, is the weakest link stronger is, than most yeah, the weakest link in the movie quite frankly i bet you tarantino would say this is tarantino himself you know hey <laughs> what do you think jules what do you think is gonna happen jules i actually like him as an actor like, i like i like kills me but yes i like him scale but he, of, to like of the guys that, talent and we haven't even seen born winston, performance talent haven't even seen winston wolf yet who's yes. one of the best characters in the movie so i'm just saying there, there is no weak links you know, I, I put Quentin above uh, Esmeralda Villalobos. Though. Okay. Well, she's, 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 <laughs> she's sexy. Though, right? uh, or maybe the, the weakest link is the, is the pot belly chick with the blueberry pancakes. Yeah. But you got a thing for her, man. You, you're like a, like a Mina. No, I just, I just never like, liked I don't like the French. <laughs> there, I said it. She wants a pot belly. What's wrong with her? I want to wrestle this chick. <laughs> Join me in the ring. AEW, <laughs> me versus that annoying chick from Pulp Fiction. <laughs> and that's her name too in the credits. Yes. Annoying chick from Pulp Fiction. Um, yeah, like I said, I mean, you're talking about one of the greatest movies ever made. And I'm not the type of guy that'll say Citizen Kane because I watched Citizen Kane. I didn't understand it. Maybe I have to watch it again. But to oh, me, you're thinking Jaws. You're thinking, uh, you know, some of the greatest of all time this is right up there instantly um, joins the pantheon completely and and did in our lifetime we saw it. most of those movies were like the big movies that everyone loved and shit was happening when we were children or before yeah. we were born but it felt like oh shit we got one like yeah. in our lifetime like this belongs to me this is a classic that belongs to my generation and the thing that i love too is with tarantino every movie that he releases is an event how many other directors do you know including yourself um, you wouldn't know how many you made, but I don't know how many movies you made. We know every. He's made that, he's made that a marketing thing sure. since the third movie. Like right. Jackie Brown was marketed as the, the third, third movie, movie by from yeah. Quentin Tarantino. And to the point where Hateful Eight was number eight. Right. And then the ninth movie, and he's only going to do 10 or so he says, whatever it may be. But you know exactly how many movies he's made. He's never made a bad movie. He's made some that are better than others. But this still, you could get a little bit avant-garde and say that maybe Inglorious Bastards is better or, or whatever. But this is this is the shining moment in Tarantino's career, made up of many shining moments. And just watching it again and discussing it with somebody who appreciates it as much as I do just makes me uh, remember that fact. It was a glorious time, kids. Indie cinema was about to be unleashed on the world. And, you know, nowadays, if you're looking for your indie cinema, they still exist out there a bit in the art house market. But, you know, most of the classy storytelling has moved into streaming. Netflix, That's right. Hulu, Amazon Prime. They're making these shows. Some of the networks as well. They're making these shows that go places. FX is making crazy out there shows and stuff. And that, all of them 
have a bit of DNA from this right here. Quentin changed the game with this movie um, in terms of what a mainstream audience was thought capable of accepting. Right. And then suddenly with this movie, it was like, oh, shit, we could trust them with a lot more. They're smarter than we thought. We don't have to spoon feed them everything. This movie is also made at a time when you couldn't be checking your phone and watching the movie. You have to pay attention to this movie. Mm -hmm. You have to. It's like Memento. If you don't pay attention, you're not going to get it. So don't bother watching it. And that's another thing I love about this is you'll never see it. I shouldn't say never, but. You'll never see another movie like this that, that just completely took a great movie, stuck it in a blender, shook it up, and just randomly placed these vignettes is what they are. You get, like you Chapters, mentioned Memento. Like you, said. you don't get to Memento without this movie. Exactly. Somebody from the structure and having somebody else be like, oh, you can do that. Going backwards and whatever it is. I mean, there's there's a great Seinfeld episode that starts with uh, Kramer having like a, a, a completely eaten lollipop. And you don't realize about 50 minutes in that it's going backwards and right. because the lollipop gets bigger. And at the last scene, he's got a giant, one of them big circus lollipops. <laughs> but they didn't tell you this episode's going in reverse. You figure it out for yourself. And it's the same with Pulp Fiction at a time where there was no, like you said, I think maybe I was subscribing to Entertainment Weekly at the time where they might have been talking about Pulp Fiction, but you didn't know what you were going to be getting. You didn't know what was happening. And think about it. Makes you, it's entertainment that also makes you feel smart. Right. Like, oh, I get that it. came before yeah. this and this went before that. And, and most people, you know, are used to entertainment that's very, particularly from the 80s through the early 90s was very homogenized and spoon fed and like to understand you know everything people would say the moral of the movie out loud and shit like that this guy not only the structure but he just with expectation um and he made you feel smart in the process he made yes every audience member feel like they were in on the joke he made cool movies with like i said with with songs that you might have heard but you can never place them uh and actors that you hadn't seen like travolta or you know you can throw bruce willis in at a time when uh he didn't make movies like this so it's uh all across the board two thumbs up and i'm excited to uh go over to smodcast uh, and listen to part two that's what we're going to talk about the rest of it um don't forget man jericho here acting his ass off in Jane Silent Bob reboot, <laughs> still everywhere around the world. And we're touring the movie and, and theaters and, and it, Actually, as it, it plays as it comes out in theaters. So it's at least still in theaters right now. Yeah, and November 14th, Yeah, uh, you're coming to Tampa. I'm going to be there. I'm you're going to that show? Yeah, yeah. Um, that's right, because that's down your neck of the yeah. woods. I was hesitant about adding that Tampa show. Uh, for those who were like, what the fuck are you talking about? Uh, me and Jay, we made the movie in, in a way that like uh, it's – Available to see October 15th and 17th yeah. um, through Fathom Events thing. Then Jay and I have been touring the movie uh, across the country uh, for the Reboot Roadshow tour. And we'll continue doing that through January and February. Tickets at RebootRoadshow.com. But the uh, then as we tour at a, at a city, the movie then comes out in the city. Right. So it's like a platform release and stuff. A rollout, very slow rollout of the movie. So it'll still be, yeah, out there in the world yeah when we were booking gigs in florida we booked orlando at the hard rock which is a barn and so you know jordan was like should we go to tampa we got a really great offer from tampa and i was like how many seats and they're like well it's like 12 1500 or whatever i was like yeah do that many in tampa like we hard enough to sell that many tickets in orlando up the road that tampa show is about to sell out yeah so it, it, yeah, that's, that's a great a that's show. a great theater that you're at the state theater I, I, this summer alone I saw Jaws there get the f 
yeah. for the first time ever in the theater. And then we did the the Grease sing along. Ah, was where they, there where they have the lyrics. So we go there quite often with with my friends and stuff. So it's it's a great place. Perfect. It's a great place. There's a, an old lady that she comes out of the floor. Oh shit! Playing the old school organ like the that, El Cap out. That's here. right, and that's your uh, that's your pre-show. Uh, your pre-show. And then when she's done, she slides back down, and then you know the movie's just sends back to hell. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> she's trapped, exactly. waiting. <laughs> so maybe you guys can get on that on the platform. That's how you can make your way up the stage in a cloud of like weed smoke. Man, 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 man. that'd be amazing. I'm going to ask about that. I was like, oh, here you got a platform. Like only the old lady in the organ goes down there, bro. <laughs> All right, so we'll see you over on Smodcast starting uh, now. The Westwood One Podcast Network. <laughs> 